Welcome back, folks, to episode number 56 of the Panoramic Outdoors podcast. Um, I'm sitting here today with Tristan. Sheldon is unable to join us, but uh, nonetheless, this is a, a podcast episode that I'm pretty excited about. We're rolling into one of uh, one of our favorite time, times of year here, the fall, obviously. For sure, man. And you know what? It's funny because the, the day was a little overcast and cool today, and uh, I saw a couple leaves on the ground. And I just kind of got that feeling on the back of my neck that was telling me, it was telling my psyche that, hey, it's almost game time. It's feeling elky out there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Also got panicked though for the lack of practice that I put in up to this moment. I don't know where the time's gone, but uh, I thought with COVID hitting, I'd have all this time. I'd be the, I'd be better than Robin Hood with that thing. And oh, I'd be carving my own bows out of willows in the backyard like Shane there. <laughs> but uh, no. Not me, man. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, pretty exciting for me. Uh, I, we haven't gone out for the last couple of years, but uh, this year I got drawn and Sheldon got drawn, obviously. Yeah, we're going to head out and try and try and arrow a couple of elk. And uh, man, I'd be praying for, for days like today at the start of elk season. Those couple of years there, they're pretty hot to start. It's, uh, it's a different kind of challenge. Like normally, like especially when you think about like our season for whitetail rifle, you're you're trying to stay warm. You're you're making up innovations or like methods. Like maybe you're even getting down to the tree stand to take a lap. But uh, with elk rifles, like how do you stay or elk archery is like how do you stay cool? Yeah, it's almost two different levels of suffering. Yeah, at, at some at some points, right? It's it's wild that you can experience um, that range of temperature and climate and ostensibly the same since fall, right, yeah. for us. So this year things have been pretty wet, but the last couple of weeks have been fairly dry. And I went out scouting there a couple of weeks ago. Bugs were horrendous. And uh, I had a buddy go out this weekend, actually. He went out scouting. And he told me the bugs were a lot better than the last time we went out. So... That's promising. Um, I'm still going to load up with my thermocell stuff, though, because I think early season, that's going to be uh, the uh, MV in the woods. Yeah, like the last thing, I just hate swatting bugs when you're trying to, the last thing you want to do when you're trying to stay still. I have gotten busted a couple times by elk, by bears, by deer, swatting bugs. So yeah, I'm yeah, not going to forget the old thermocell. So what else you been up to lately? Well... That's a good question. Like I said, I thought uh, thought I was gonna have all this time uh, to do a million projects, and uh, I guess we we have done quite a few projects. Like I know you and I this weekend were just working on the boat, getting it tuned up, and uh, doing all that maintenance on it that you never think you, you you don't remember to do until it's time to do it. Kind of scenario. Yeah, yeah, we're kind of doing some spring maintenance and uh, the pre-fall here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But at least uh, it should be good and ready to go for next year, and it's we won't have to think about it as much, obviously. Yeah. So change the oil. Uh, it's a four-stroke. We change the top end oil. Um, the impeller for folks out there, if you're listening, uh, one thing we uh, were told is that there's a, that that rubber impeller in the bottom half of your your outboard. Um, which pumps the water through the cooling system, right? Yeah, it's a water pump for. The it's not the pump, but it's like the. Yeah, well, it pumps it up, right? Yeah, so it's like a rubber fan of sorts. Yeah, it's a water pump. Whatever. <laughs> it's a male to model. It's a water fan. Um, a propeller. Um, anyways, that thing can get cracked, right? So, um, 
ours was in in too bad of shape, but we had a buddy who got stranded out on Lake Winnipeg because his blew up, his impeller, which meant that he couldn't cool his motor, which meant he couldn't drive. So we thought we better change ours. We hadn't done ours in a couple of years. So got that done. A couple of the rail beds were in tough shape. On the trailer. On the trailer, yeah. yeah. Got that done. Easy. That was an easier kind of job than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Just uh, jacked up one side of the boat and uh, and braced it up and then uh, took the bunk off. And too bad we had some extra carpet laying around from, from when we did the, the top deck there and recarpeted them with that and away we went. Yeah. I think the next job will be kind of adding that fuse box to the boat so we just don't have six to seven different lines running to the 12-volt. The to the to the battery terminal. Yeah. 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 And that they're, th- those lines are actually fused that way, so that'll be nice. Yeah, so it doesn't mess up our, our electronics. Not to say that we have anything too fancy, but yeah, you know, maybe one day we, we'll get a pan optics in there. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's organized this way too, right? So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then uh, been in the garden quite a bit too. Yeah. Weeding. Uh, we expanded a couple years back and then like just like the maintenance on a new garden is quite high, I would say. When there's always weeds popping up, the soil needs to be adjusted, yada, yada, yada. If things aren't growing as great in, in the in-ground ones as we'd hope, but the raised beds are doing. Yeah, super, super weird year. Our garden's not too, doing too fantastic either. The early frost and then uh, we had, uh, now it's really dry. So lots of the plants are stressed out and I just, I don't have the time to irrigate everything properly. So I'm praying for rain. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I feel you about the, the new garden scenario. We tilled one up in the back this year to put all our viney stuff and it's uh, tough to keep up on. I mean, you got seven, I think this, well, I don't know the exact number, but there's a seed bank in that soil, right? Yeah. And conditions are right. You knock that down, till it up, coming up. Tough to stay on top of for sure. You did... Uh, a little um, rejuvenation, or you're doing a little rejuvenation on your uh, reloading system, though, right now too, aren't you? Oh yeah. So like, here's the here's the thing. So Carly's 270 is low on ammo at the moment. We like to hand load, and we've got we've had good luck shooting the uh, the Barnes round out of that gun and out of my 300. The uh, however, I wanted to move. She uses the LRX right now, which is their long range um, all copper. I wanted to move to the TTSX, which is like, it's less long range, but still all copper ballistic tip bullet, just because it seems like supply is more readily available. That being said, I've been to Cabela's quite a few times and they were out of stock every time. And I would ask them like, when are they getting more stock? And they're like, oh, I don't know. It's kind of short. Check it, check back again. And like, I mean, I wasn't in a rush for it, but now it's getting to the point where it's like, okay. We need to figure some shit out here. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I lined up calling up the guys at Rat River because I was tired of waiting around for whatever was happening at Cabela's. And he was explaining, I was talking to the guy there, he was explaining that there is a ammo shortage, which we kind of knew. Yeah. Because down in the States, everyone's freaking out. It's kind of been like an ammo shortage for the last two years, I feel like, though. There's been some shortage in ammunition. First, it was like 22 ammunition, and now it's yeah. 9 mil and everything else that people can get their hands on, right? Totally. So a little worried about the unrest down south, and they, uh, they're they stocking up. Apparently, you can't even buy 9 mil ammo down there. You have to pay 50 bucks a box for like this premium, like uh, some sort of like Luger, Nosler loaded, I don't even know. Wow. Yeah. But... People are still buying it apparently, so 
which means that supply chain wise, we're having trouble up here. Luckily, the guys at Rat River were able to that day source me what they figured to be the only two boxes of TTSX Barnes 270, 130 grains in all of Canada left. Woo! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so those are on the way in. But he was explaining to you, like, there's powder shortages too. So, like, for example, um, he said, you know, IMR 4350, which we have on the shelf, we don't really use too much anymore. It's really short. But I stocked up on, I shoot the H1000 in my 300. So, sorry, if you, if you don't reload, you, you can fast forward maybe about 30 seconds here. If you're a reloader, uh, you know, send us your tips. And then we also, uh, I stocked up on the V100 uh, hybrid, which is what I run in Carly's 270. And I've got real fine groups running the Barnes components with the V100 hybrid. And uh, in that 270, Carly, she shoots a Tika T3 there. It's a nice gun. Very nice gun. And we're, we're talking like clover leaves or lefts at 100. So just smoking too. And um, so, yeah, but it was cool because, and so those guys were able to scramble and get me some stuff, but, and provide some context for me. But also like we got into this like long conversation about reloading on the telephone and he's telling me how all the moose hunters that he knows of, like the, the real tried and true vets, um, you know, they obviously they're always trying to evolve their game, but so they, uh, quite a few of them switched to all um, copper, kind of like what we have done here. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, but those guys have all went back to the partrition which, really? which is, you know, like, um, I guess like Nosler makes one, but I'm, I'm pretty sure each like major manufacturer has their kind of their version of it. their version of it. Um, and he says, those guys just love it. it. It's a stable bullet that doesn't mess around and you don't have to worry about whether it opens that kind of thing. Right. And, uh, really reliable for me when I was looking at them, I was like, well, there's the same price as the old copper. I know the barn shoots well. Yeah. Um, but, uh. Something to think about when you're looking at the components, if you're either reloading now or if you're getting into it. Yeah. One thing I heard about the partitions is uh, they certainly leave all the energy in, in an animal. Yeah. Mushroom City. So Totally. And that's like, that's that's a great debate, eh? Is like kind of like mm-hmm. uh, that, that energy dump versus um, penetration, right? Yeah. And it, obviously it all depends on the animal you're hunting and the shot you're taking. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Had good luck with the barns. They've killed everything we've shot them at. So Yeah, I like them. The thing that I really enjoy about them is that I don't have to worry too much when I'm shooting a deer with them too, that they're going to just dynamite inside that deer. Totally. So it's not, they obviously don't do as much damage as a partition would. There's no energy dump on that white tail. <laughs> no, no. Um, but there's obviously enough takedown in it that it doesn't go far. Oh, yeah. And we've been, we've shot our last few white tails with well i shouldn't say the last few i've switched guns a few times but we've hit them with the 300s and yeah you don't want to be you want to be dumping all that energy into a white tail no no exactly especially if you catch a front shoulder or something yeah you're gonna be in ugly. trouble yeah you're real wrecking, wrecking a lot of meat but no that was great and so they're gonna ship that stuff in for me and i'm super excited just to be stocked up kind of like uh doomsday prepping here or whatever you want to call it <laughs> man the customer service is great and that's i one of the things about like dealing with like a family-owned small business too is you get that real personable great customer service out of that they do a lot of special orders they're they stock hunting fishing trapping equipment they even take passport photos there 
and when covid's not happening they do some like firearms courses and stuff like that so yeah you could tell that they were knowledgeable like which was nice and the guy had time to chat with me like it was just i was not expecting to have a 20 minute conversation on components and like you could tell like, it just helped that he not only knew what i was talking about but was able to add no bullshit kind of valuable information yeah to the to the conversation yeah that's that's a cool thing about him too he probably sees a lot of stuff that yeah that uh, other guys don't get and uh, deals with it also the knowledge base is there yeah i guarantee you that they know every item that's on their shelf you know what i mean yeah so they can vouch for it or whatever maybe they just have it because some guys like it but and and i'm sure he knows like somewhere in the back of his mind maybe that that i'm coming back next time now because i've had a positive experience he went to bat for me and um kind of was able to help walk me sourcing something that was really difficult to get my hands on right now i've had trouble in the past even before the ammo shortage just getting my hands on on stuff you know when wholesale was open and cabela's was open it's not like there was a constant supply of that stuff sometimes it's hit and miss depending on the time of year so i think i'll be uh sending some support down that way next time i need to um stock up on my reloading stuff too if you guys want want to look uh look up rat river outdoors though check them out online at riveroutdoors.com and uh instagram for sure and i think they got a facebook account too check them out they're down in saint pierre jolie and uh yeah just a great great outdoor store yeah shall we move on to uh our tap turntable and uh barbecue yeah i've been enjoying it so <laughs> right on so what do we have on the tap this week on the tap you know what when we we sat down to do this podcast um and uh we'll get into to greg's story in a minute here uh, we sat down with greg Brbovich, um a, kind of a mutual friend of ours in some ways yeah um and we can hop into that but uh greg uh found out about us through one of his coworkers, derek and derek was uh kind enough to kind of come along and and uh watch the process when we sat down and he he stocked up on some tcp before he came in and he, yeah. he he passed along one of those hibiscus um beers and hot damn again like the like i'm just i don't know everything i try is good so yeah i've quit being surprised yeah so thanks derek for uh stocking up the cooler there that was that, was that hibiscus uh goss i think it's called was uh it was great man i really enjoyed that and that's one of their uh three small batch beers that they have in stock right now so they have the gava guava county sour the hibiscus goss and the new zealand sessions pale ale so limited stock on all those obviously and uh, all their other sours are sold out so show how popular that beer is um I was gonna say the hibiscus goss too for my on tap, so yeah, <laughs> we'll just roll with that. That's funny. Uh, Carly too is uh, we got a we got a due date coming at the end of the month here, but uh, she saw that they were they put out a whip beer too, so she is like, oh, maybe uh, that'll be the first consumption of the uh, life new new life as we know it kind of scenario, right? <laughs> so right on, nice. Might have to go, you know what? But the way it's been going there, I I might have to go pick it up asap just because. Like they, I, I realize they've been selling out of stuff quickly too. So yeah, well, here's a little tip for everybody that's in Winnipeg or Brandon. Uh, they do do beer deliveries. Winnipeg, you get same day delivery, and Brandon is bi weekly delivery. So they'll deliver right to your house Wednesday to Sunday in Winnipeg. And uh, all you gotta do is order online at uh, I think there's a certain time frame around noon or something. Yeah, 
and then uh yeah they'll deliver it right to your house and they have curbside pickup too so if you want to order pizza order some beer pick it up that's a great option too you know what i've uh like so many other products here we should maybe just abandon this whole panoramic thing and start our own beer podcast (laughs) (laughs) just reviewing beer drinking beer (laughs) wouldn't be a bad idea yeah or just have it on the side gig just have the podcast gear running 24 7 but if you guys are interested in getting some your hands on some transcan obviously they're in uh lots of local local lcs um Check them out, TransCanada Brew Co. At, on Facebook and Instagram, and uh, 1290 Kennison Boulevard is where they're located. And you know what? I've also found that they're super responsive on social media. So if you like check in there, but also like, I think they like to see where their product is reaching. Yeah. So make sure if you're having a TransCanada on the weekend or something, like take a pic and tag them in it and give them a shout out. Give them a shout out. They'll, they, uh, they love to repost too. So yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. They're really active on the Instagram. And the last thing for the week here is uh, what's on the barbecue or what's on the grill. What's on the grill, right? Yeah. And uh, we didn't talk about turntable. Oh, whoops. Which one do you want to do? Doesn't matter. Yeah, we'll do what's on the grill. Yeah. Well, when we were doing the boat repairs there, I decided to slap together a few hamburgers, which we hadn't done on the pit barrel before. And like, it's just weird. It's uncanny. I've yet to see, I was thinking about this on the drive. Like I've yet to see something that the pit barrel has not cooked. Like dare I say perfectly, like it's just ridiculous. Um, the, the burgers came out like with this nice smoke ring on them, crispy on the outside with that bit of a crunch and like just super juicy. It was like, and I didn't add anything to them. I just salt and peppered them like, yeah. like the way a burger should be. Let me point that out. <laughs> um, but man, yeah, and then just a little mustard mayo and the Bob's your uncle kind of scenario. Yeah, man, I, that was a deadly burger. Uh, Jody actually uh, made mention that it was one of the best burgers she's ever had in her life. Better than A&W, which... That's saying that's, something. That's, a, that's saying something, yeah. For Jody. Yeah. But beware, there appears to be a charcoal shortage in Winnipeg. So if anyone's got leads on charcoal... Oh, man. Send them our way. We went to... A few different joints on the on the weekend here to try and find a bag and it was nowhere to be found so the search is on okay. what are you what are you barbecuing yeah i did up a little pork a little uh deer shoulders in there too and man i just love the way that pit barrel puts a crust on those things and just holds all the moisture inside yeah that's wild. of meat and uh so eat light it and let it warm up for a minute put your meat in and leave it and then when you want to take it out you take it out <laughs> totally so super cool uh so easy to use and not complicated at all and if you want to pick yourself up at pit barrel barbecue uh you can find them at pitbarrelcooker.com they have uh they have their two style barbecues on there and all sorts of accessories they even have a beer opener for the side of the side of the barbecue which is super cool they know what's going on <laughs> people are drinking beer people are making barbecue and they're having a good time and uh Lux Barbecue Company in Winnipeg also carries them. They do go fast though, so make sure you give them a shout and reserve yourself one of them babies. You're you won't point it. Yeah, I was on social media and I did notice that they there was some questions from some Canadian folks around where how to order. And uh they all they did, as you said, like Lux is one of those ones, but they said they recommended checking out some of their Canadian suppliers because it it just might be easier to source your product yeah 
to a Canadian supplier. Yeah, I can't imagine things are too easy to come across the border right now in the certain times we're in, uncertain times we're in. Um, also, check them out on the web. Uh, or Sorry, not on the web, but on uh, social media, Facebook and Instagram, uh, Pit Barrel, Pit Barrel Cooker, Pit Barrel Barbecue, and uh, certainly tag them in anything that you're going to cook on that baby. Tag us. I want to see it. Hell yeah. So we'll head over to what's on the turntable. What have you been listening to? Uh, you know, I, I've still been kind of in the, uh, I don't know, my my uh, my music playlist doesn't wander too far these days. But uh, Camp fired up on the uh, the old iTunes there lately. So I was wondering when you're going to mention them. You listen to them quite a bit. In there. I do, yeah. I, there was a stage there where probably about a month straight just listen to them daily in the house kind of thing. So. Is that with two A's? Two A's, yeah. C-A-A-M-P. I really enjoy them. Uh, what song can I recommend if I were to recommend? Um, Vagabond is a good one. Check them out. What about you? I've been all over the place lately this week, but um, one of the, one of the I shouldn't say newer, but one of the things I kind of dipped into again is uh, like some 80s pop rock or like some 80s like electric rock kind of like that so like finding young cannibals for example or like i feel like that was a bit of a weird weird like era well they they discovered the synthesizer right yeah (laughs) everyone everyone used that for a little while disco synthesizer a little bit of uh pop yeah uh what else is that that uh voice uh didn't that come out then too the oh like the auto-tune yeah, it's thing. like auto tune, but yeah, like yeah. not the full. Yeah, yeah, not not like it is now. Obviously, it's yeah, evolved. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, no, yeah, no. It's uh, it's been fun and it's kind of interesting, and it like you, I don't know. I've been finding like the more you hop around in music, the more you like realize that every era had shit music and every era had good music. Just like every genre seems to have like shit music and good music. So. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So, at, turning our attention to the podcast today, we've got uh, a friend on, Greg Berbowich, and uh, if you don't know the name, we'll forgive you. Um, Greg came to us by way of kind of a mutual friend. He recognized that we were connected to Andrew's West Coast, and so was he. Um, Andrew, uh, if you don't know Andrew's West Coast, you know he's a good friend of ours. He's taking us fishing out, uh, out of the, based out of Nanaimo in BC, and we've had some really good luck catching cohos and all kinds of fish chase you and shrimping with them there yeah caught some good kings out there so um and then yeah so he had been he had recognized what he recognized that we were kind of a mutual connection and then started chatting with chase and we were just really intrigued with greg's story here so you get to see a bit of it uh, well you'll get kind of the full story in the podcast here but greg has been hunting elk in the inner lake area, kind of similar bush to where we've been hunting over 20 years now. Yeah. And um, the thing that struck me about Greg when we chatted with, not only is he like extremely earnest and honest, it's like this genuine guy, but you can feel the dedication and the passion in the room. Man, it, it runs deep there. <laughs> oh my like, goodness. Yeah. Like just seems like all around outdoorsy dude and is just elk crazy. And he he was a real, for me, a real tangible link to like how, because he was in just like, you know, like our Uncle Ron kind of was. He was in on archery elk hunting before 
it was cool. I'm not even sure if it's cool now, but it seems like it's <laughs> kind of cool now. If you watch YouTube enough, if you're in the same YouTube videos as I'm watching, it seems pretty damn cool. Yeah. Uh, back then, it seems like it was a bit of a different sell. Yeah. And he is like at his core too, like an innovator in a lot of ways. Yeah. So like uh, he, he even pulled out a few inventions on set when we're recording this thing, <laughs> which was wild. But, you know... I'll give him credit. There's there's merit to those things that he's doing, and you know Honestly. what you know what he's doing is he's pushing the envelope everywhere he goes. Yeah, he's fi- trying to find a better way. Yeah, and uh, and I think that's just super interesting. I think that's how you learn. That's how you grow as a human. That's how you know you grow as an outdoorsman, and uh, you just gotta keep pushing, right? Yeah, super unique guy, and like Tristan said, he's he's constantly learning. So he's like twenty years in the elk woods countless years i'm sure chasing after a whitetail and other other sorts of uh outdoor activities and uh the guy's just hungry still for for learning and for trying to be a better outdoorsman so so i you know what i won't tell you how to listen to our podcast because i'm sure people take things um away differently from each one of the podcasts that we do but uh if uh i gave you one pro tip today Listen in for that perseverance. Listen in for that kind of drive. Listen in for that innovation. And uh, I think I think you'll be surprised. And uh, hopefully it inspires you to like kind of, whether it's elk hunting or waterfowl hunting or fishing or whatever it is you're, you're, that's bringing you here today, hopefully that gives you a little spark of inspiration to just take the next step. Without further ado, presented to you on number 56, our friend Greg Brubulge. We're uh, we're sitting here in East Selkirk, and uh, a beautiful, beautiful home uh, with a great spread in front of us. Uh, Greg, thank you for coming on the show, but thanks for hosting here. <laughs> Seriously, well, nice to have you guys out. It's uh, it's kind of cool to have you guys out and in in the house here, and certainly setting a good tone with the environment and uh, some great food. Do you want to set the scene here, Chase? Like, what are we looking at? So we're upstairs in this uh, uh, a beautiful house here, and the uh, gross the guys at work call it a gross because it's a gross. garage house. So it's gross. <laughs> the gross. <laughs> it's pretty, it's cool, pretty nice. Yeah, it, it's uh, very unique. I'll say, like your stairway man is. I've never seen anyone do a stairway <laughs> like that before. And uh, we're sitting upstairs in his, uh, I guess, a bit of a man cave up here, and he's got his music room behind us and uh lots of exposed timber frames up here so you were telling us about the timber frames too eh, greg and you were saying it's kind of like a mock timber frame in some ways is that accurate? yeah like they're full they're full dimensional timbers but uh no uh structural joinery it's just sort of it looks like it it's structural it looks like a regular timber frame but it's just uh just just to give it that look give it all that but they're full dimensional, eight by eights and six by tens and all that stuff. So. Yeah, and I kind of spread out amongst the uh, the timbers here. We got some magnificent mounts, some elk sheds, some pretty impressive elk sheds, and uh, obviously some white tails hanging around too. What, what about these picks back here? <laughs> that my my, my buddy's. Uh, when I first moved here, I, I had a bit more stuff. I had uh, more record albums. I had a whole bunch of other stuff. But then the girlfriend moved in and wanted to move some of her stuff. So she's got these 
fat girl paintings uh, from some <laughs> kind of famous painter or whatever. So, yeah, the first time I had my buddies kind of over here after she moved in and did all the stuff, they were sitting here and they stared at the wall and they're, and my buddy, buddy's, one buddy's just staring at the wall, staring at the wall, and then he looks at me and he's like, What's with the fat girl paintings? <laughs> he's like, what? I go, it's not me. It's not me. So uh, I had to compromise on a few things. So you also got some pretty interesting uh, fishing lures hanging up behind you that were hand carved by yourself too. So that's that's a pretty unique feature of the of the room, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's a few. Well, back in the day when I was really into fishing and make, you know, I was trying to make some lures and you know crankbaits because back when I was doing it eight, when I was 18 19 years old crankbaits were pretty expensive even back then so you know you're trying to make this or that and doing the wood carving stuff and whatever and went along with my drawings and stuff like that. just something a little a little different to do yeah and you, you certainly uh gave us the uh the red carpet treatment here with the uh full spread of uh west coast salmon caught with uh our buddy andrew there at mm -hmm. uh, andrew's west coast adventures yeah derek's brought out two different kinds of goose jerky is that correct yeah and uh we got some deer tenderloin also sitting on the on the table here was that oh, i'm hoping that's this year's deer or the last one well there? yeah last, yeah <laughs> yeah the yeah, the tenderloin lasted that long. Oh yeah, yeah. I zip, I freezer uh, like um, vacuum sealed it or whatever else, so it tastes taste. And then I I did it after I did the smoked salmon. I uh, smoked up the the deer tenderloin, and so feel honored. Normally our tenderloin doesn't make it out of camp. So oh, uh, yeah, no. I actually when I was looking in the freezer, I found like the one package that was left and i thought ah you know what i better use this up before uh before it does go bad or whatever right so i'll smoke it up so and that's a candied salmon you made there too right? yeah yeah so take take your salmon fillets and you know do a dry brine with uh, brown sugar and salt let it sit overnight draws the moisture out and then you uh, smoke it in the bradley and then uh, at the end i i do a apricot jam with maple syrup candy wow. on it then put that back in and it's nice. Yeah. It sure it turned out like better than any kind of restaurant salmon I've ever had. So you did fine work there. Oh, well, thanks, thanks. Yeah, it's good. Good with the cream cheese and all that. So Maybe Andrew have to come back to Manitoba. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think Andrew's coming back to Manitoba. <laughs> He's living the dream out there. Yeah, but yeah. It's kind of neat that yeah, kind of uh, how we kind of met was you know you guys had the same friends and kind of met the same way right like through andrews kind of yeah certainly unique con connection and uh we've through our our journey here that that we've been partaking in it's it's kind of we've kind of been introduced to these opportunities many times where we've we've met somebody or know somebody and then and then they know somebody and turns out they're closer to than than we know kind of thing and easier to talk to and and all this business so it's pretty neat. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's why, yeah, one thing you, especially people that are in the outdoors, doing outdoor stuff, the you know, whether it's fishing or hunting or whatever, it's amazing how, you know, you can 
learn about that this person knows this person has done this done you know whether it's dog training or whatever and kind of just full circle it's kind of it's kind of neat it's a you know neat community to be an outdoor community manitoba is a big province but the uh the outdoor community (laughs) sometimes not as big as the yeah is the is the landmass yeah exactly um yeah and so we met i guess through through andrew because um Andrew, uh, well, actually, your friend there I turned us turned yeah. you to the podcast. Oh, yeah, because it's I was never really into podcasts. I had no up to last year. I didn't really know what a podcast was in a sense, right? You kind of hear about them, but no offense taken. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, I, especially hunting podcasts or whatever. I was just I I just go hunting, and you know, you watch the odd video here and there, and. But then my kid got me into listening to some podcasts in elk camp. You know, we had, in the afternoon, you had nothing to do. So he got me to listen to them and, you know, Joe Rogan and the meat eater and all that stuff. So anyways, talked with my friend Derek at work and he mentioned you guys. You guys, I should give you guys a listen because I've gotten into these podcasts and listened to, you know, Corey Jacobson and the Elk Brothers and... So I, I uh, Google searched you guys and uh, and uh, I seen that Andrew's West Coast Adventures follows you guys and I'm like, well, he must know them. And then I saw your guys' name, last name with Drylich, and of course I worked with uh, your dad at on the fire department. And uh, I'm like, well, Andrew. Must. So then I texted Andrew. And I knew you guys had the cabin uh, way back when on Lee River and kind of texted Chase about fishing spots. And, and then he, I don't know how we got mentioned about <laughs> elk hunting. And then yeah, figured you guys, found out you guys kind of elk hunt close to where, where I am. And then, you know, just talking back and forth and. Snowball, man. Typical yeah. outdoor conversation. Yeah. It's funny how that happens. Yeah. And then, yeah, you guys came, came came by to meet me with last friday and yeah it turns out you four hours later pretty much live <laughs> up live up the street from us yeah essentially right so, mm-hmm. i mean country street so we're yeah a couple. few miles apart but uh it's closer than you know kind of in in our own backyards across the across the way yeah kind of thing. yeah 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 you guys live in st andrews and i grew up in st andrews yeah 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 and if our listeners haven't guessed uh then by now, with the multiple references, we're we're kind of here to chat elk tonight. We'll talk kind of elk camp, uh, our lessons learned throughout the the years, and uh, you know, kind of the horizon of elk hunting. So, um, Greg, you you've been at elk hunting in Manitoba for quite some time. Yeah, I got. Uh, I'll be I'll be turning 50 years old this uh november i started when i was uh 29 years old i got into the bow hunting in my early 20s recurve and you know shot myself you know got shot a couple deer and um a good buddy of mine from high school jeff hawkins he was a big bow hunter at the time and uh we decided you know let's try something else so we went for elk and that was in 99 was our first year that we went out 
uh, Oaton, the Montag there area, and not without a clue of really <laughs> what to do. I I didn't even know what an alcohol was really like or what, but my buddy kind of did, and he had uh, diaphragm calls because he was a turkey hunter, and he brought his turkey diaphragms, and that's <laughs> that's what he was making his elk calls with. No way, cow calls, yeah, because you can you can do both. You can sit there with your elk calls and make turkey calls if you want. It's exact because basically the same thing. It's all yeah, just yeah. a read. They're they're shaped a little bit different to give you a little bit mm-hmm. that higher pitch that you. But basically, yeah, was it? And uh, yeah, I had my recurve and just trompsing through the bush back in. 99 and ever since then kind of got hooked after that first year just you know when the first morning when when it's calm and it's cool and you're in that bush and then you get that bull bugling from to you 40 50 yards away and this that scream it just like sends chills through you and once you hear that and once you have that and they're coming through the bush there's there's nothing like it and, you, and that's it you're you're hooked you're it just drags you in and that's it you're i've got lots of questions about what recurve hunting in 1999 looked like <laughs> <laughs> but i want to recognize that 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 essence of what you just described there that bull screaming at you through a, a you know a, a raft of poplars or willows is exactly i think what got me and chase hooked and like at least for myself recognizing that elk hunting is like no other hunting on the face of the planet no it's yeah it's not it, it's so it's so it's so vocal it's it's uh you ha- you you're talking with them is what you're doing it's it's not too many animals that you really talk to like when you deer hunt yeah you you grunt and and stuff like that that another deer's in the area or you kind of doe bleed a little bit but they're not talking to each other like elk are talking to each other you know those bulls are talking to them from to each other from you know a mile away from you know from one ridge to another ridge they're talking to each other and then you know they're calling their cows and then the you know the cows are talking to each other it's 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 just so it's so it's so neat it's it's i guess if a a guy is a a big turkey hunter it's almost the same thing turkey hunting and elk hunting are almost the exact same it's just a different animal and it's but they they react the same they you know they deal with each other the same like the males and the females and calling it's it's a lot a lot the same but except you're just you got a thousand pound bull elk screaming at you and <laughs> ripping up trees and smashing trees and getting mad and and seems yeah. like it ups the ante a little. <laughs> yeah. Um. So and I think like part of the earlier discussion we had was just around some of these. Um. We we remarked on some of the changes that have occurred in hunting. Um. Now from then, so like now we have access not only to different gear, but podcasts and YouTube and um, all these different resources that we can rely on. When you were starting out in 99, like what was that journey? Like, what was that? Wow. There was, 
you know, there was no such, you know, there's no YouTube or videos. If you wanted a video, you bought it, you bought it off a shelf, right? You bought an elk hunting and, they, and there were some really great videos back then, but you know, a lot of the stuff was, you know, really edited out, you know, and, and, and what you learned from it. I don't know, like, and with it, where the, where, where they were filmed, you know, and then you watch that video and, ah, that was not a really good video. And I just spent <laughs> 20 bucks on this VHS tape. Probably, yeah. probably 30 minutes long, eh? 30 like... minutes long. Yeah, exactly. Now you can go on and you can watch one guy's video and it's just like, wow, that's, this is, this is terrible. Or, or I'm not learning nothing here. Yeah. Or, you know, and you could quickly switch to somebody else and you know so there's just so much information out there you got to be careful with a lot of the information because everybody's got their opinions right like so and what works here won't work there and you know what i mean so but yeah it's just everything like the area we first went into i was a kind of a little bit familiar with just from some deer hunting in that area but if you wanted to know what was around the corner well you kind of had to walk around the corner right you know and then i switched and okay there's aerial photographs so you go to the canada map sales there on Mm -hmm. 90 and you buy the aerial photographs but you know you're buying aerial photographs that are 50 bucks a piece Right. And it's, you know, you, you kind of get an idea of what's there, but, um, and then but there's no GPS markings on there. So once you're down in the bush, you still have no really <laughs> idea. Like you go, Oh, I remember seeing that on that aerial map or, you know, or, you know, you're trying to carry around some big aerial map in your back pocket kind of thing. And topographical maps, forget it. Like, they don't work here in Manitoba. Like, yeah. you know, as, as you've seen those topographical maps, you know, a swamp is a couple of little yeah, green lines on Like, you know, a little brush lines that tells you a swamp. You don't realize that swamp yeah, is like cat a mile. Tail. Yeah. <laughs> a mile by a mile. It's like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm not going there or whatever, right? So, but now with the, you know, with Google, Google, Google Earth, I guess, was the first, but now with these apps that are out there, you know, switching from going from a compass, the big thing back then was getting a GPS. My buddy got his G- one of the first GPSs, right? And I remember my first GPS, it was like, you know, four inches by about six inches, right? It was huge, right, to mm-hmm. carry that thing around. And and now I I have my GPS in my bag, but... I don't even use my GPS. I my, use my phone. My uncle gave me one of those GPSs way back in the day, <laughs> and he's like, this thing doesn't work anymore. I can't figure it out. And maybe a young guy, and I was like 14, 15 kind of thing, maybe you could figure it out. And I played with it forever trying to figure it out. Couldn't figure it out, but that was kind of one of the first GPSs I owned. I was like, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> this is going to change my life. And then now here we are, like you said, right? Yeah, exactly. And- and then you realize that those GPSs don't, old GPSs don't work in the bush. And you start following this line and then you realize you're way off the line and then all of a sudden it readjusts. And, <laughs> and you do, 
you end up doing more zigzagging because of the GPS than if you were just to follow that game trail that you followed in mm. out kind of thing. And you realize you put on an extra mile and a half getting out of the bush because those GPS don't correct themselves. And yeah, yeah. that's one thing that, that, uh, I talked to a few guys, a few of our friends and, and, uh, a few kind of good bushmen will say is they try not to rely on their electronics too much. And they, they, they might have them in the backpack or their pocket just to verify where they're at. But really when they're going into area, unless it's a brand new area, you know, and they still want to learn it and they, they kind of know, know the trails, know the terrain and, and know where they're going. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, that's part of the game. Well, yeah. Like when I go, when I go into an area and I, I get on a game trail, you know, every, you know, you're always looking down and you're always getting references of, of anything that's on that trail, right? Like, oh, there's this stump that's shaped like this. There's this tree that's shaped like that. And then every once in a while, every, you know, 50, 100 yards, you actually turn around and look back. Yeah. Because going in one way and coming out the other way, it can look totally different. So you always have to have these reference points or whatever. So, yeah, like I would use my GPS just to give me little points along the way. Like, okay, I'm, you know, I can look at it. Okay, I'm fairly close to that point or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And and then it allowed me, okay, I'll just keep walking. And then, you know, I'll walk in a certain direction to the next point. But, you know, following whatever game trails or what, you know, learning the game trails, learning learning the land that you're on and being able to recognize where you are is the biggest thing, right? Totally. Yeah. Elk hunting is a, is super crucial in that way too, that we've been learning. And, you know, you, you listen to lots of the, the guys talk about elk hunting and, and knowing where certain areas are transition zones. And, and, uh, as Chris Rowe would say, the, the doorway for mm-hmm. for those elk and stuff like that where they're going to come through where they're going to stop and look and and uh kind of how they're going to be working that land too you know it's it's a big big a huge advantage oh yeah and that's where that's where google earth and these apps have have uh, made it so much easier because now when you're in an area you can download those maps you could have that map with you all the time it'll show you exactly where you are on that satellite map and when you download that map and you can zoom in and you got a bowl at a thousand yards and you can look at that thing and go okay i got an opening here 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 you can put in your points measure the distances so you know how far okay i can make it to that next opening it's 200 yards he's a thousand yards i can easily make it there right and and you could pick your way and then so now y'all also can read like okay these are these openings that he's gonna hang up on or he's not gonna come across or when i first started you'd be calling a bull and why is this bull not coming in like you know he's calling and whatever else and i'm you know he's probably only about four or five hundred yards away but why is he not calling in then all of a sudden when you do go back to camp and you look at your satellite maps and you figure out what area you're in, well, you realize there was this swamp in between you. And, and that's like I say, that's where they're, they're like, they're like turkeys. They won't cross certain terrain. They won't cross mm-hmm. a swamp to come to you. Just like a turkey. They won't 
turkey won't go through a ditch to come to you, right? They'll mm -hmm. stay on. You ha you have to know what's in between you and that animal, right? And so that's it's made a huge difference in that sense. So did you know elk were like turkeys in '99, or did is that something you came to to learn? Well, it's just something I came to learn, and then a lot of the other guys, like a lot of the guys I was following back then, or getting lessons from brought up the same thing this it's how they you know how they interact with each other right like how they're calling hens and you know the jakes are calling and mm -hmm. you know they're they're kind of all, like you know it's like a it's like one and the same in the sense of like the calling right the calling and how they how they move through the bush and and where they'll come to and where they'll stop and where they'll hang up and and only come so far and then they want the hens to come you know yeah same thing with the elk elk are exactly like that mm -hmm. right what was it like in um when you were starting off to like i know we've chatted with our uncle briefly about it he was one of the first guys to to start really chasing elk aggressively i think it was in the 80s chase eh? with uh with a bow and a stick or a, a string and a stick and like <laughs> It doesn't didn't seem like it caught popularity until rather recently here. Like, was yeah. it? What was the culture of like bow hunting for elk like? And there was there wasn't very many bow hunters out there at the time, and a lot of the bow hunters back then still sat like did like whitetail hunting, mm -hmm. right? It was just a change. I'm gonna hunt elk. But they hunted it like whitetails, right? They would set up stands here and there. You know, a lot of, a lot of it was around agricultural land mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of bow hunters. I've I've met more bow hunters bow, like that want to bow hunt elk in the last four or five years than, than in the 20 years that have, you know, it's it's incredible. The equipment's so much better, and you know what I mean. So it's it's get it's getting people more involved in it. And, yeah, and that and communication is is yeah way wider reach, right? Yeah, like we've been saying. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's, in Manitoba, a lot of guys are going for archery because for elk, because uh, you know, you if you go uh, for the draw process, you can get a, a tag every. You, maybe every year or every second year at, at the at the least right whereas mm -hmm. a rifle you're waiting you know on our draw system you're waiting four or five years before yeah. you get a, a tag again yeah and you know it's tough like four or five years things can change a lot in 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 the environment like how the landscape it's amazing how you miss you miss you you don't go into a area and for two years up there and you come back and it's amazing how, how fast you can get lost. Like, because that, you know, especially the area we hunt there up there, you know, the forest fires that went through and all that stuff. It's amazing how fast that landscape changes. So, you know, uh, so if you want to be out there every year or every second year, you, you know, you got to kind of do the archery season and, yeah. And I kind of got hooked on that and, and I love it. What compelled you to start it, and then the what? archery? Yeah. Well, I just I don't know. It was just something different, right? It was uh, is being up up close and personal with an animal, right? Like rifle hunting, you know, two hundred yards and you can shoot a deer, right? Archery, you know, especially back then, you know, 
I wouldn't even have thought, well, especially with my recurve of shooting 30 yards would have been a long shot back then. And, uh, you know, my buddy, even with his uh, compound bow, he was, he was maybe, you know, 50 yards at the best. Right. So you're right up there, right? It's like muzzle loading back then too. It's compared to now, you know, rifles, you know, they're shooting farther. The muzzle loaders are shooting farther. It's, and then also too, it's the time of the year too. Like it's, it's right in the beginning. It's it's a great time to be in the bush, yeah. you know, when the when that September season kind of, you know, uh, when the season dates kind of go that third week of September. It's yeah, nice. You, you kind of get that big transition there. Start yeah. of the season, you're it's still kind of hot. All the leaves are still on. Yeah, and by the end of the season, yeah, pretty much all the leaves are off the trees. Well, exactly. Yeah. It's getting a little cooler yeah the uh the first year you went out um I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more what what that looked like and like <laughs> did did you have a mentor going into this or no no just... well my uh, my buddy you know he was he was a little bit more of a seasoned bow hunter than me okay so i kind of you know followed his lead at the time of like no just being in the bush and learning the bush from him um but you know it was we were piggyback piggybacking on uh my uh my brother and my dad's quad like you know two guys piggybacking on a little honda little 400 quad going through you know swamp and whatever else <laughs> and it's kind of funny because we we crossed this little swamp and got to ridge and we got on a herd of elk on in this one area in a bowl and i believe it was on the second second morning we had a shot my buddy hit a twig and missed it but we kind of hunted that whole herd for a whole week and it was weird because i have yet to do that like kind of once you bust them now or you kind of they move but it was like weird it was like they well, whatever they didn't, they didn't weren't as spooked as as much, but it was kind of weird. We hunted that those elk a whole week, that same herd, but we only hunted the mornings too. That was the other thing that was kind of different. We kind of <laughs> went on the mornings, but we it kind of drizzled on and off that whole week. And I remember it, we were well, gear was terrible, so we were soaking wet after every morning. Come back to camp, try and dry stuff around the fire, and yeah, one one day we had enough and. We packed up all the clothes, everything, and we drove into Asher and went to the laundromat and threw our, all our hunting clothes in the dryer, sat there and dried <laughs> everything out. We got back and the next morning it was soaking wet again, but at least yeah. we, there was one day that you put on dry clothes. It was kind of nice. Oh, that was back in the day of the, <laughs> the heavy, heavy gear and denim camo and uh, yeah. all that fun stuff, right? Well, yeah. And yeah, actually up to last year, I was still wearing denim camo on. <laughs> You know, I got I got uh, hooked into wearing coveralls. I love coveralls, so I'd wear like a denim pants underneath, and I'd wear a cotton type camouflage coveralls. Right? I liked it. I liked the chest thing. I had all my calls there and pockets on the side and whatever else. But and uh, you know, I didn't really hunt in the rain much because I, you know, just if you shot something trying to track something, so I, it wasn't like I was hunting in the rain in it, right? But you go out in the morning. And you get soaking wet from the waist down, and 
And then after last year, when I got really soaked going after this bull that we went after and caught a call, I'm like, okay, I'm 49 years old, Greg. Uh, it's time to start upgrading maybe and <laughs> get something that's a little bit a little bit better, right? Like, so this year, this year will be kind of fun to be out in the bush deer hunting or whatever with, with some a little bit better gear. So it'll be interesting, but. So tell us a little bit about, because you've got an elk camp established now yeah. that you kind of run. Yeah. Like you're, you're part of. Yeah. How did that start out? Well, like same, like initially it was the, the um, there was two of us and then a third guy joined in and then, you know, one guy drops out, another guy dro- comes in and then we got up to, there was uh, well, four of us that would was just strictly archery and my dad and my brother got into elk hunting but they were going rifle and then they switched into archery and uh because the exact thing you know they're applying for their rifle tags and it was you know it was happening every four years so you know they kind of get the bug and they want to do it more so they've kind of joined in so then we kind of built a bigger bigger camp where we have four or five guys and then now all our guys we have kids that you know are in their teens so they start coming up for a weekend just to come out and spend a couple days and and at the beginning and camp and you know setting up and doing all that kind of stuff and go out on a couple little hunts just you know follow us around and you know then they go home and then we try and hunt the rest of the week or whatever and 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 get something so but it's kind of develop from there into that bigger camp like that so but um last year i kind of switched off and from that bigger camp and i um, switched into going farther into the back country and setting up a camp like not not the back country hunting that you like in the these guys go with the backpack in the mountains and that kind of thing living off of my backpack because here in manitoba i don't know i guess if you really just wanted to kind of get away and do that kind of thing it's okay but here in manitoba you, you, you can only go so many miles before you hit somewhere else where somebody's coming in from another direction you're not going you mm-hmm. can't go eight nine miles into the backcountry and be way away from everybody because if you want to go north of the monte probably <laughs> yeah, <could>. maybe there <laughs> that's about there but i don't know if there's any elk up there so but i kind of last year i was the first year i made a, a separate camp where i quadded all my stuff in instead of just having the truck where you drove the truck up and you had all your stuff and then every morning you got up or every evening when you went out you had to quad to your spot and because, you know, from our camp, we covered probably 10 miles by 10 miles. That's the area that we hunted, right? All these different spots. So I kind of, last year, I kind of more picked uh, an area that I knew was would be decent and that I could kind of hunt it for a, a length of time. And I kind of quadded all my stuff in, set up that camp and, and was way in the back. And this way I could get up from camp i didn't have to quad anywhere i could just walk from camp and uh you know it, you know three quarters of a mile and i was 
or a mile and I was into the elk area without having to quad the seven miles or six miles every morning or every evening and back and forth and and uh just that less traffic and stuff like that it was amazing the difference it kind of made I, last year I was three weeks solid in that camp minus a couple of days that it came out um when I got sick there I had to come out and uh <laughs> replenish the jets and once i got soaking wet but i was three weeks in that bush in that area and and you know around those elk all that entire time and they didn't push they didn't move they were mm -hmm. you know they'll, they'll 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 do their area but they were in that basic area for that entire time and i think that had lots to do with not not that traffic all the time not that yeah and you were saying you were doing uh like the best job you can to to kind of reduce the amount of pressure and, and kind of noise pollution that you were giving off just being in that area, right? Well, like, yeah, you, like you what have... I was kind of doing was if I was going in and out of camp, I'd try and do it in the afternoon, right? Like in that midday. So, we you know, when the winds kicked up, you know, you had this, you know, those fall winds or whatever and muffles the sound. That's when I would drive out, get my supplies and whatever else and and come back in just so i didn't have that quad sound even though the elk are used to that sound they're used to because it's the inner lake right there's ranchers there's farmers there's quarters they're, mm -hmm. they're kind of used to that sound so it's not like they're as soon as they hear a quad they're hightailing it, it yeah you, you can drive right by them i've i've had so many times where i've gotten stopped a quad as soon as i've shut the quad off and you know couple of minutes goes by and all of a sudden a bowl lights up right beside you. So it's not like they're running off, but I think it's, if you were to do that every morning, every morning, you're coming every morning, yeah. then that's when they start going, okay, well, you know what I mean? I've kind of had enough and, you know, let's, let's push on or whatever. Something, something different is happening here. Right. Yeah. So, so it's really interesting that, that, and I, I mean, it certainly, follows our uh experiences with elk hunting and how you know you kind of start okay we'll go elk hunting one day archie elk hunting and now all of a sudden you go from that one week with with your buddy and now you're up to three weeks pretty much in the back country <laughs> <laughs> and just just full out you know you're full bore well yeah because like you know i'm just setting setting a goal for myself of of trying to get one and and uh archery hunting getting a archery elk is tough and and well you guys know i've told you i i've yet to get one i've yet to get one i've i've hit do i do i consider myself unsuccessful no because i've you know i've come really close I've hit a couple, unable to find them, you know, stuff happens, you hit twigs or you hit whatever else, but it's, um, it just keeps you, keeps you going at it, right? Like, and, and wanting to do it. So last year I really set myself that goal of like, okay, I'm going to do this or, you know, and, and really set the time. But of course, same thing, you know, missed one at, 60 yards and then had another one in close and just that opportunity well you know what manitoba bush is like right how yeah. thick it is and how you know it's 
it's it's tough it's it's tough and and the guys that one the one guy that uh, one guy that came into our camp he shot an elk on his first year ever out and <laughs> uh and just in the right place at the right time and this elk came in and 20 yards bang that's it down right and um like it, that's just the way it goes right yeah like, certainly there's certainly a huge huge uh aspect of luck and oh it is right like you hear the stories right like i, I was listening to um that one podcast you had with Keevan Erickson and I'm, you know, I'm following his stuff. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. And he was talking about that bull that came across the field and 15 yards and bang, he, he's got a bull down. Right. And, uh, you know, and he's the first one to even say too, right. Like, is that ever going to happen again? I doubt it. Right. Like, yeah. he, you know, stuff for it, it, but you just luck out right like that. Right. Like sometimes it just works out the right way. Right. Um, Every year uh, with a rifle, you know, would have been a different story, right? You know, I've had, you know, multiple encounters every year that with a rifle, I could have probably easily got one. But once you get into the archery, that's where the challenge becomes. It's it's a lot different. Closing uh, that distance. Closing that distance. Yeah. yeah. And, and the game plan, knowing how we're going to come in. Like so many factors in archery for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But I, I need to know here. Maybe I don't need to know, but I, I want you to share w- with our listeners here, Greg, because uh, I th- I think that we've maybe got the same a similar bug to what you've got mm-hmm. <laughs> in your system. But you've been at it for a while, and like, yeah. what what is driving you? Like, what keeps you coming back year uh, in and year out here? Sometimes I think, what like, I should just quit, like, give up, like man like you're not gonna get one like it's just not gonna happen but and last year was it was i was it was hard it was hard to leave the bush and and he had that goal set and it was just so hard and i was like i gotta take a break or i gotta do something different or but then you leave and then you know a couple months goes by and you're already thinking about that bush again and then you know, it's August right now, and the nights are already getting cooler, and then you start waking up, and that cool air, and you yeah. just want to get right back out there and, and, and do it again, and to get those bulls close. Because, it, you know what I mean? Like, whether you get one or, or you don't get one, every year you're out there, and you're hunting, you are learning. You are learning. You, you're learning something, like... You, it's just a matter of putting in the time and you're, you're learning what they're doing. You know, you're trying different things and, uh, and that's what it's all about. And then having them come in close and, and, you know, having that experience just, it's, it's, it's a, and it's an addiction. It's an addiction. (laughs) And, you know, and I kind of feel bad, but you know, there's been a lot of guys that have gone quite a few years without, shooting one right like i think i was telling you i could be wrong but i'm pretty sure like um that donnie drake that hunts with Corey jacobson he went 17 years without shooting an elk in the archery in archery like it's just it's a it's a it's a mindset as well mm-hmm. like i think that's maybe too where i lack is i i'm i get super cautious and when it come when when it's 
you know, that last 10% of, you know, of the encounter, right? You get super cautious and you, and you, you know, you don't do what maybe you think you should be doing, right? Oh, or, Hindsight's always twenty twenty. Well, exactly. And so, but... Uh, don't worry, you've got the entire year to replay that scenario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that scenario. Okay, well, if I would have just did yeah. this. Yeah. Was the wind coming from the south or the south-southeast? I can't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, man, elk, elk hunting has got to be, if not the most dynamic, one of the most dynamic uh environments hunters can put themselves in yeah i've never well i've never dull sheep hunted in the mountains yeah but there's probably like yeah if you want to compare to that i mean there's i think there's a little could be a little more on the line but a little different but like yeah. if you want to talk I don't think about you're like screaming screaming at them though yeah no. if you want to talk about actually communicating with an animal playing the terrain correctly and uh there's so many just variables that yeah. that are tossed into your court there that well yeah and and i think i've learned more in the last four years probably of elk hunting than i've learned the entire time yeah the other entire time i was you know going out and doing the you know basic cow calling and you know yeah you'd get them bugling and you'd get them kind of coming in but you weren't getting them to commit you weren't you know, you you get the odd opportunity kind of thing, but now that this new, inf- you know, more of this information is coming out, and you can watch some of these guys, and you kind of learn, and you start trying some stuff that you would never have tried on your own, has has dramatically changed in the last two three years for myself. Yeah, like I I used to be I always call calling I. I would never bugle. I'd maybe bugle once or twice in a morning just to whatever. And then, oh, I hear a bull bugle and uh, that's it. I'm going to just cow call and because that's what he wants. He wants cows, so I'm going to get in there. Yeah. And then you start realizing, well, okay, he's come so far. Or I can't get him to come. And and what what's happening? And then, you know, you start watching some of these other guys and you can pick up the on the guys that are good at it and and I switched I switched gears, right? And now I now I go out totally different, right? Um and you know I I was always under the pressure, right? Watching some of these videos of these guys hunting elk in the mountains and I would be well, that's the mountains. Those elk are different than Manitoba elk, right? Like, look at the big high mountains and valleys and whatever else. Look, we're hunting on flat land and, you know, swamps and these elk are different. I got to hunt these elk different. And you realize elk are elk. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the same animals. The only thing that's going to change for them is the pressure that they're under. The hunting pressure that they're under the pressure from wolves and stuff like that. But other than that, they are the exact same animal from here to there to in Montana or Idaho or Alberta, wherever you go. So now I, I do a lot more calling to that bull as a bull. And I, and it's, it's made a huge, huge difference. The, the, the amount of counters that I've had in the last, last few years is, is, it's incredible nice that's i mean there's 
some interesting factors at play here, I feel like, especially keyed in towards Manitoba. Uh, outside of Manitoba, firstly, obviously, we have all these resources now that we can go to, and and guys are saying this was is what's working, this is what's not working, you know, and they have these communications that they can decipher for you and tell you how to call pretty much elk. But from a Manitoba standpoint, and I can really understand how this might be like a, a tougher situation or, or how it steers decisions for, for somebody that, like, like you said, when you started, started on 99, the resources that were there were just... Yeah, there was nothing you had obsolete, right? There's yeah. not obsolete, but there wasn't anything there, right? Yeah, they, they got, all the bugle stuff was was still <laughs> the external bugle with the external yeah. reed stuff. Uh, so hunting Manitoba, right? We we've discussed this before too. If you get a couple encounters a week where mm-hmm. you have maybe a shot opportunity, or you get within that distance, even if it's through the woods, you know, where you get within thirty, fifty. 20 yards sometimes i mean heck you'd be hard to press the fire shot at 10 yards through the bush and some of that like brush so uh, if you get an encounter like that once or twice a week you know you're doing pretty good yeah so if you got a bull coming in that's bugling that's responding to cow calls you know you're thinking this this is what he wants he's coming in and now he's not closing the distance and you're stuck on that fence what do i do now yeah you know like is this the right thing but you don't want to mess it up either because you know this might be the only this opportunity will be the I only get. opportunity you got and so yeah. i'm not going to screw this up by trying this i'm yeah. just going to stick to what's kind of worked before and that's where i've got stuck in that rut for the longest time just just staying put doing this one thing and mm-hmm. it's funny like 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 we talked about like like in manitoba like in that one week you if you get one or two good opportunities, you are doing well. And like we had a guy in our camp, he still comes out once in a while. He's that optimist guy and guy, right? Like he'd be like, we, you know, we'd see, see one of, you know, oh, we had a great opportunity. And I'm like, we didn't have an opportunity. <laughs> like we saw that elk run across a trail at 70 yards. Like there was no opportunity, right? Like your opportunities are when it was right within that 25, 30 yards and you actually had a shot and it had to just come out in an opening or it had to take one more step or whatever. That that kind of was your opportunity. And you're lucky, like you say, to get one or two chances in that in a in a week out here right there's there's just not the the numbers of elk here in manitoba to even have that like there's some good areas right like there you know mm-hmm. i know some guys that hunt that little farther south inner lake and there's some you know herds that kind of pack up around those farmer farm fields and stuff like that so you know maybe they're getting a little few more chances but kind of where i am you know way up kind of in that bush you're not you're not getting those as many chances because there's just not the numbers of elk. Yeah, and hunting and, the big woods, man, you can't. Yeah, you don't have any any uh, line of sight on anything like a west. We we said this before too on the podcast. You know, you can spot stalk and, and yeah, find find where the elk are moving on them. Yeah, and, that, and, and that, run those ridges and yeah. stuff like that. So it's and you, you've got a controlled wind system, right? You know that the wind's going one way in the morning and the wind's going to go the other way. In the yeah, evening. the thermals and all that stuff yeah. are kind of set in certain ways. They, they'll run into situations when it get cloudy. It'll start 
it'll start to swirl on them when it, when the clouds go over it'll affect stuff like that but in manitoba you get those openings and you think oh this is great i'm in a, <laughs> i'm in a little opening these all well that little opening that wind is just swirling around in that little opening and that wind that was at your back is going every which direction in those little openings and in, in yeah. that bush so it, it's it it makes it it makes it very tough in that sense that's why like some of these videos i've started watching like northern idaho is it you watch some of those guys hunting in that northern idaho that is thick country and up and down and then you you know that's kind of you know like manitoba hunting that thick thick bush right it's a little relatable a little relatable except for Mm -hmm. the elevations like we 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 luck out we don't have to we don't have to go up and down two three Mm -hmm. thousand feet Mm -hmm. every morning every night but they also don't have to walk around a three-mile swamp in that swamp willow yeah. thick stuff. Like, if you ever walk through that stuff, you know, well, you guys know what it's like, right? Like, mm-hmm. tangling and getting... So, you know, they don't have those issues either, right? So, but. I, I think Manitoba is unique in that, like, you, you said that the, the elk are the elk are the elk kind of scenario, but we're unique in our topography or our geography in a lot of ways, but also... Um, just the number wise and stuff like that, we don't have non-resident elk hunters coming into the province and stuff. No. Like that. So the, the, the elk community here is rather an insular one. So like, there's not, there's, I, I just don't think there's a lot of content coming out on what Manitoba elk are, even though they're really big elk. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like it's still uh, on my bucket list one day going to like, say Idaho, Montana to, to shoot an elk. But unless, but unless you get a, a draw in a in a limited air draw area of Montana, you're not going to shoot huge bulls, right? Or you go to Idaho. Idaho manages their like you know you listen to Corey Jacobson. They they manage their their elk for numbers, not necessarily size. Not that you can't shoot a nice big, nice decent six six by six, but if you want to shoot a big bull, you look at some of the big bulls that have been shot here in Manitoba, or you look at some of the sheds that have been found. Like the, there is huge bulls here in Manitoba, especially that inner lake area. There is some big bulls in in that area. My buddy found this set of sheds, and uh, I'm not going to disclose where he found them. I'll show you the pictures after the podcast. But man, oh man, yeah. Like, well, yeah, it's like that. Well, that one hunk that I uh, showed you that is probably about ten or twelve years old, like in the bush and all yeah. chewed up. But you look at the size of that base, like the size of that base is like a baseball bat. Yeah, right. It's just so you know this this the we've got big bulls here. But you look at you look at Idaho. Idaho has, and I'm just going by Idaho because that's the area that I'm kind of interested in. And and you can get an easy over the counter tag tag they're fairly easy and and so that's kind of area i'm looking at but you look at they have a population of about 120,000 elk idaho has i think i checked look there's their square kilometers or something like that and it's like 200 and some odd thousand square kilometers right manitoba has a population of around about i and according to this one north american elk magazine around 7,500 or 8,000 mm-hmm. well it's got square kilometers of, you know, 600,000. Mind you, all the elk are mostly southern. So basically, but even if you take the bottom third of Manitoba, and it's got 8,000 elk, and it's the same size as Idaho that has 120,000 elk, right? Yeah. Like, so just the numbers are there, right? Aren't aren't there that you're going to 
have the same experiences. Mind you, we also don't have the amount of hunters that are going there, right? That's true. Because they get, they give away uh, just over 12,000 non-resident tags. Wow. So you think about that in Manitoba, like we, we don't even have nowhere near that amount of elk hunters. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a different, total different ball game down there. They, they, uh, they certainly manage their elk herds differently and, and they even like manage individual units differently. Like some, some will be managed. They'll be more, uh, favorable for, for drawing a general tag and going and shooting, uh, uh, like, uh, say either any elk or like, uh, maybe cow tag or like, uh, uh, three point bull or better kind of thing. Whereas yeah. some units are strictly managed for trophy elk yeah. and, and, and stuff like that. And, and you got to imagine when they're giving away 12,000, 12,000, you said. Yeah. Tags? Like, yeah, they, they're allotted. There's just like 12,000 something. Yeah. So that's got to be resident tags fully intended with bringing that revenue in from, yes. from non-residents and, it would be interesting to see where that money goes because if, say, Manitoba had a program like that where they would bring in non-residents to hunt and and if they put that money back into conservation and, and stuff like that, man, I'd be all over that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, like if you could have a couple of limited, limited tags that were, you know, yeah. the, like, the, a, like you say, the possibility of, but I don't know, like whether it would work or not or whether you could manage something like that or I don't know, like it would be tough to say, but... And that and that's why you got to take, like I say, you listen to a lot of different. And we were talking about that because you 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 kind of questioned me. You said oh, you don't call call as much or whatever. And you mentioned like Chris Rowe, yeah, down in the states, right? So I've I've listened to a couple of the podcasts recently, and a very knowledgeable and whatever else. But you got to look at what area those guys are hunting, and he's hunting. He hunts a lot of like Colorado area mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Well. And he was, I was listening to actually a podcast say, where he goes out and where he'd go out in general season and you'd show up at a trailhead and there's, it was like a parking lot yeah. full of trucks and, and you're competing with all these guys going out, trying to shoot these elk and whatever else. And so like, I remember him saying he does just a lot of cow calling, not bull calling and whatever else. Well, there's a reason why. First of all, those bull elk are hearing thousands of guys fluting like you know like uh like dirk durham so is the, the doug flutie right they're, they're hearing <laughs> tons of these flutie calls right and so they get educated they get educated yeah. really fast and they can tell they can tell what whether you're a true elk or not a true elk right like you know what i mean the they're in that environment 24 7 then they hear that stuff so so they like they're getting that kind of pressure right of of all these hunters so that you got to switch and then the same thing he said today he goes i don't i don't want a bull to sound off and bugle because he says if i have a bull sound off and bugle well there's no there's guys that are hunting a few miles away that are, are going to hear that same bull bugle well now i gotta those guys are going to come in and compete so he he would more cow call and sneak in and mm-hmm. you know get him that way right um whereas so Whereas Manitoba is different, right? Like you're not, you don't have, you don't have that amount of numbers, right? Of, yeah. of guys. And, uh, and so they're not hearing as much of that calling, even though they do, you know, hear some of that bugling from some guys, but, and they will learn, 
but but it's it's getting into that back country and then and then switching up like that was the biggest thing i always just thought well an elk bugle is an elk bugle like you know blow an elk bugle and that's but it's not it's once you you listen to some of these guys like uh, there's a guy on there called the elk nut um uh you know like and like Corey jacobson or dirk Durham. and it's it's not blowing a bugle it's 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 what you're saying when you blow that bugle mm-hmm. and and it's not always a full drawn out bugle there's locator bugles there's uh bugles that they're talking to their cows there's bugles that they're uh um uh, aggression bugles of like wh- when they want to fight there's the uh gathering bugles so it's knowing what to say and and when to say it and understanding when they're when they're bugling what they're saying because mm-hmm. if you just kind of go in there and you're blowing whatever that that's not gonna right yeah and and I, I think that's initially too when I kind of first maybe tried it, maybe that's why I didn't get into it because I didn't know what I was doing, right? Like the thing is, I think what we, as hunters we kind of forget. We go back to camp, we sleep in our bed for eight hours, we get up in the morning, we go hunt, we come back and we sit in camp, we have a nap, we get back up, we go back out in the evening and we hunt again for another few hours and we come back and we we repeat that cycle but every time we go out hunting we think oh this is like we've dropped off in the middle of nowhere and 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 everything is fresh and 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 it was the way i left it but you got to remember those elk are in there like you say 24 7 so when you're sleeping in bed they're walking the ridges and they're talking to each other and this bull is calling from this ridge and 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 talking to this bull on this ridge and they got cows here and all of a sudden you come in in the morning where did this guy come from right (laughs) you know what i mean and and it's like okay well this is kind of different right so you you got to kind of always remember that like those elk are traveling and we go in the bush we've got we've got a destination we're going in the bush we're hunting for the morning we're already figuring our path to come back to come back to finish the morning so we can go back to camp or whatever else those elk are just in the bush just doing elk stuff just doing elk stuff yeah so you know they're doing a four or five mile circuit and where they end up is where they end up they don't have like oh i gotta be you know what I mean? I got to, you know, it's not like us. So I got to be at the grocery store at three o'clock and then I got to go to the kids, whatever else. These elks are just in the bush. So yeah, you got to remember you're coming into their environment and they're hearing all that. They're in that stuff. So you're, you're coming in, you're like an oddity, right? So, yeah. and, and if you're not telling, talking and telling them the stuff that they want to hear, then that's, that's when you push them. That's when you move them. That's when you, you know, because they're like, well, this is weird. This is totally yeah, weird, right? I'm comfortable with that. On, yeah, and uh, and it it's 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 learning how to do those calls and uh, how to be an elk. Yeah, and like um, I do everything is with um, a diaphragm mostly for me. I have a couple bite down calls, and I have I even have a hoochie mama that I'll you know I'll, I'll have there. And I just kind of use that once in a while to to switch up a little bit of a sound, you know what I mean? Or to make myself sound like two different cows, mm-hmm. you know, or I'll switch, swap out diaphragms quickly t- to sound like two different cows. And so you have that. But bugling, 
you have to use a diaphragm. You have to use a diaphragm with a with a tube to get that volume. You need the tube to get the volume and that, those sounds, but you have to use a diaphragm. Those um, external reed type bugle calls aren't gonna cut it. Though they're good for locating. You can sit there and you can locate a bowl with those calls, but to to do that elk talking, to do those those lip balls, you're you're just not gonna do it. Yeah. Right. You you just they're just not made to do that, right? You you have no you have no control over it, right? Like as a diaphragm, right? Yeah. What what kind of diaphragms do you I use run? uh I use these uh Got to dig through them through the beef jerky. I like beef that. Beef jerky, yeah. <laughs> I use the, these little the goose jerkies. Primos, these little Primos uh, minis. Oh, they yeah. Come. They got a little... The, the sound dome on there. Sound dome on there. Yeah. I, I find that these fit my mouth really nice. And, you know, I've I've tried a couple other ones. Like I, when I first started out, I started out with the flat ones, but my calls weren't quite as good. And then I, I found these ones and they... Fit your mouth. And that's the biggest thing is you can't buy a call based on what this guy uses or what yeah. that guy uses. Or Corey Jacobson uses this or Dirk Durham uses this. I got to use. You got to use what fits your mouth and works for you. Because what works for you won't work for everyone, right? Oh, for sure. They all fit different, right? So I find these ones fit. Because even, you know, I bought an Elk 101 call to try it. And I cut it down a little bit smaller so it fit. And it has the dome, but I still can't get the control yeah. that I can get with these little Primos ones, right? And so I just actually, I just ordered uh, three more of them. They come in a, I ordered these little three packs. They come in the three pack and the little holder thing is awesome for keeping holding, them organized. For keeping them yeah, organized too, them. yeah. I got some diaphragms. I don't even know where they end up half the time there. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, there goes 12 bucks. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, I know. I know. Exactly. They're not, the, they're not the cheapest thing either, right? And yeah, I I run a couple years. Of, I keep them for, like, some guys will replace them. Like, you watch some of those guys and know, oh, after, you know, a couple of days of calling, they stretch out and I've, oh, Grace, I run, sometimes I run them a couple of years. Because, like, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not cheap. Love it, yeah. So, and, and you're working on your own little tube here, too, I notice here. You don't, uh, you're not blowing one of the... Uh, the, the big bats that everybody yeah. blows? No, I, I, my brother got one of those bats and, yeah, you know what, they're, they're awesome. They make great sound. And, but I'm, I made up a long time ago, just a simple... Uh, tube out of like a plastic type pipe it's got to be the right diameter because it's got to be able to fit your lip properly over your you know over your top lip but not covering your bottom lip and then i i I made a little sound chamber on the end but i like it because it kind of wraps around my body and i and i can walk easily with it i don't have a you know big bat sticking up in the air it's pretty tough in our bush and I can control that tube and I can direct the sound down, round, behind me very easily, even while I'm walking. And I think that's the biggest thing too, is is not always just blowing it directly at them because those elk can figure out right where you are. They know exactly where you are and it's trying to direct that call away from them, down, make you sound a little bit farther away or that you may be leaving or, or you know what I mean? Like, I think if you're just always directing at them, directing at them, they're just like, okay, 
you know, I know mm-hmm. exactly where that call is coming from. And it's, it's, it's two years ago, me and one of the guys I was hunting with, we were in the bush and it was very interesting. We went into an area and there was a guy hunting fairly close. And of course I was calling and well, he, he didn't know we were in that area. Right. So he thought right away, he thought we were a bull. So he was cow calling to us, you know, and all I you know, I didn't want to run into him, so I just kept moving away. Well, it was amazing how easy it was to figure out exactly where that guy was and avoid him and and circle around and and then you start realizing well, that's what those elk are doing. Yeah. That's exactly what those elk are doing. So you could be there and you're doing all this stuff. Those elk are just slowly moving around, figuring out where where you are and what you're doing. And whether you're a hunter, whether you're an actual elk, and it it is so easy. It was so easy to just just stay out of that little bit of a range from him. It was just so. Then you realize I'm on the other foot when I'm doing that stuff. So how do I switch that up and make that make him wanna hunt me more yeah. so than me trying to hunt him? Right, and that—that's when I've kind of switched up to a lot more bull calling, and and uh, and it's made a, a world of difference. Like it's unbelievable when you know kind of what to say, what what you can get these them to do, mm-hmm. yeah. and because that's what I, you know, I kind of learned that that cow calling, like that Chris Rowe talked about, that th- those bull elk will only come so far, and then they'll stop. And they're like, well, I'm the bull. They're a cow. They, yeah, they want cows. But they're like, okay, I've come this far. Like, come here already. Like, yeah. And you'll hear that. Like, once you start learning their vocalizations, you'll hear that. When they give out that that bugle, that, that you know, that rough gruff. Like, they're basically saying, okay, enough's enough. Yeah. Get over here. <laughs> and And... And that's what we would stay back and sit there and call, call and sit there and call, call thinking. And finally, all of a sudden, well, where did that bull go? Well, he just got, he's like, oh, <laughs> okay, I've had enough and I'm wandering. I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> and you go, oh, what happened there? Right. Well, all he did was he bored the hell out of him. Yeah. And they've left. So, but you you're like not saying that it doesn't work because I've had little bulls come running in. Or, you know, smaller bulls come running when they hear that cow call because, you know, it comes close by or whatever, and they've come running in. So it's not like it doesn't happen, but... Those older, smarter bulls are probably... They got yeah. the they got Like the I say, I told you that one yeah. time I had that five-point bull come running in. I didn't make one call at all. All I was was breaking some branches because I was trying to climb a spruce tree to get a better <laughs> vantage point. And all of a sudden, I could hear crash, crash, crash through the bush and got down in this little five-point bull came running in and and that was that was my uh, first miss that I had on that but I didn't make one sound and sometimes sometimes making no sound at all is the best thing you can do because it's just like when you're going in and you're and you're going after a bull what do you what do you want him, him to do you want him to sound off all the time Right, so you can figure out exactly where he is, exactly where he is, exactly where he is, right? You always want that bull sounding off in your head, right? So you can figure out where he is. 
So a lot of times what I'll do is if I hear a bull off off in the distance and I, I come out and I bugle and I get him going and and I, I know where he is, I can kind of figure out where he is, I'll, I won't say nothing. I won't say nothing at all and I'll just start going towards him and trying to get as close as I can to that bull before I say anything else. And it's tough sometimes in the morning because you know, especially in the swamp and all that stuff, they hear you walking through that swamp and all that stuff. So they, they hear you, they hear you coming, but you're, I try and be as quiet as possible, get that wind and try and get as close as I can before I make any other vocalizations again. Right. So sometimes you just want that bowl to think, okay, you've done your location bugle and you've located and whatever else. And then, okay. And then all of a sudden that bowl goes, okay, yeah, there was a bowl there. And then all of a sudden, the next thing he hears is that bull is like a few hundred yards away. Now it takes him a little off guard. Like, oh, okay, well, what's going on here? Where's this? Where's this guy coming from, right? And totally. and and then getting in on him, right? And 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 working him that way, right? So sometimes making no calls is is, is your best best thing, right? Until mm-hmm. you can get into there and figure out what he's doing or whether he's got cows or. Or, you know, whether he's alone or is he aggressive? Is he not aggressive, right? I know Chase and I made the big shift last time that we went out um, from, we we played a little passively like you had hinted at earlier and got hung up the first time. The second time we played a really aggressive and like you said, we went straight at him. Well, I shouldn't say straight at him. We, it was probably... 400 meters as a crow flies straight to the bull kind yeah. of scenario. And it probably took us a mile and a half to get there to play the wind properly. And, yeah. but by the time we nudged up to him, um, we landed up getting burnt. We were playing it aggressively. Um, but it, it really felt like we were playing hide and seek in our buddy's house that we've never been to before. Mm-hmm. Like those, those elk know the bush so well and you're just you're you're kind of a tourist there in some ways well yeah like and that's another thing you get busted because you figure that elk is so far away meanwhile and you start going and all of a sudden that bull same thing has closed the ground and you haven't heard one because you know how many elk i've been busted by where it's like you're standing there and all of a sudden you hear that trot and like some of a guy running through the bush with baseball bats in his hand, whacking the trees and like, where the hell did that bull come from that? I could not hear that thing. Yeah. Like when I found that, that, uh, that, uh, that dead bull that I got that skull mount, the whole antlers, I walking through that bush with that thing over my head, like i don't know how many times i got tangled up in trees and you know and how those those animals can move through that bush and turn their head and and come in so quietly that you cannot hear them at all it's 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 totally amazing it's amazing real yeah i I want you to show chase all the features of that tube in a second but (laughs) i'm wondering if we should just do a little trans canada check here and just yeah Absolutely. Are are you thirsty or are you? Uh, yeah, sure. I yeah. could use. We brought brought a little mixer pack here. Well, mixer as in they're I think they're all lamp lighters. We got a. Uh... So the Jets are in playoffs right now, though. Too or technically it's the qualifying uh, round. Oh uh, yeah. 
Uh, I don't know. I think they're done. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not looking pretty right now, for sure. I think we lost most of our lineup in the first couple of games. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know if the Jets have the depth to go any further than where they've gone. Have you had these before, Greg? Just curious. Yeah, yeah. I had these at uh, down, yeah, downtown. I won a, at a function. They, they TransCanada was sponsoring it. It was. Um, it was the Country Music Association Awards. Oh, nice! Yeah. nice. And they they had a bunch of these. Oh, that'd be great! Yeah, yeah, they're they're good. Well, to El Cantin fellas, mm-hmm. cheers or the pursuit of cheers, yeah, yeah. cheers. <laughs> so, show Chase this tube here. Show him the the optional features. Yeah, so I made this tube up, and then I I sewed this camouflage material to cover it up, and I got my little cord. But the little end of it was you know was a, a one liter pepsi bottle but it would it would it would bang in 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 the bush in the trees would hit it so my buddy gave me a beer cozy for a beer bottle and uh, is that is that neoprene neoprene yeah yeah so i got it wrapped around that and now it deadens it all and uh, it's kind of kind of really rednecky but it's got a little pocket on then you yeah could toss yeah a few you diaphragms see, in there if you want you know what you get look at that i didn't even notice that right now next year i could put my calls in there <laughs> and what if you what if you want to change tone yeah well yeah see i can just pull off pull off and i can do my uh my smaller tones with this right huh yeah so so i i like like that so i i'm just gonna try and like do a. <laughs> description of the call here and i do like the feature of how you said it kind of curves around your body so you got about like a two and a half three foot piece of inch and a half or inch and a quarter tubing there yeah that rib tubing and yeah. the elk nut says i think it's like an inch and three sixteenths yeah the optimal yeah optimal tube diameter so that it can get over your top lips and not touch your bottom lips yeah i listen to that podcast too <laughs> um but the yeah the cool thing about that is like so i I, i'm rolling a a rocky mountain bugle tube Mm -hmm. and i often run with it strung across my shoulder or in my backpack and uh, it does become quite cumbersome at times especially if you want to be more mobile with it and try and but also um if you're on the move or whatever like if you don't want to have it out all the time and you want to toss a call backwards or to the side or whatever and well, that looks like it might be a little more ver- certainly yeah, more versatile especially if you're solo hunting like um if you're if you're dual hunting and all you are is a caller then you know fine right like those like you know you watch like Corey jacobs and they go up the guy that's calling doesn't even take his bow with him right mm-hmm. and uh um just it's so he has a call so you know he can do whatever he want I, I even if I'm partner hunting, I'm taking my bow. Like in Manitoba, you have no idea which way that bow is gonna go, and it's just too thick. And you're not, you're not far enough back to go. Well, I'm not gonna shoot a bow that's gonna come in. Like you shoot a bow if it comes in, you shoot a bow, like, <laughs> or you shoot an elk, right? Like you're not, you know what I mean? You have a so, so this one allows me a little bit better for the solo hunting, right? Like you know, I can have it just right like this yeah and it's easy it's easy to shoot i can shoot with it on it's not in my way that's how you roll with it with the with yeah. the mouthpiece up 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 right like, like this. that yeah and then wrapped around my my bodies so this way even if i'm if i'm 
walking and also i want to give a quick call i can i can straight there oh yeah perfect it's right like that no kidding and i and i can do whatever i i want with it right at that time but yeah so yeah i'll never go in the bush and not have my bow with me because you don't you don't know which way that bow is going to go like we had that last year me and my brother and uh he was calling for me because and you know, we had the bull right on the edge of the swamp, and he went off into the bush, and then we were working him, and we, we got him to come back, and I went, okay, that bull is going to come down the same path that he went, because it's familiar. Well, doesn't he go a different path, and he went straight to where my brother was, and he came right in on my brother, and he was 20 yards from my, my brother, and uh, my brother, it was a quartering two shot little bit of you know brush so my brother would just wasn't comfortable with the shot so he didn't take it and but you know if he did if it did present itself and he didn't have his bow with him like you would have felt like yeah like man yeah like i'm so. gonna i'm gonna say two things here before i before i put you on the spot and really test your skills but i am uh, i'm a huge advocate for a just being in elk country at pretty much any time of the day I, I feel like isn't a terrible idea and um the only time i've gotten a shot at an elk was at like 1 30 in the afternoon walking down a trail to set up a trail camera and uh so the second part of that equa- equation is b if you're in elk country in the bush carry your bow and if i wouldn't have had a bow with me that day i wouldn't have had a shot either so yeah and uh didn't get that cow obviously but um uh beyond that let's hear a bugle let's hear that thing work man uh, are, are okay. you are you allowed to bugle in the house oh yeah, yeah yeah <laughs> so i catch a lot of flack for... <laughs> yeah. one thing that's nice with that that triple pack primos is it comes with the three pack and it comes with your single double and, and a triple read so uh my single reads i i like my single and my double reads for my cow calls so You know, you can do all your all your different vocalizations that you want, right? And that's why I'll have two of them, right? So you heard that one. That was a double read. You can almost see, yeah. hear that little bit different of a sound, right? So so I, I, I like I like my double read for bugles. I'll I'll use my triple read as well, but That's nice. your, like no, that's your full thing, but the way I go into the bush, like if you if you kind of want a calling sequence from me, like it's hard to it's hard to watch some of the videos and you watch you know like some of the uh, elk calling championship stuff. Well, they're doing all the stuff full out, you know, to win competitions. Whether they're going to do that when they hunt is is totally different, right? Man, not not to break away from the from the elk hunting uh, scene here for a minute, but uh, what's his name from Duck Commanders? The the, the old man. Oh, there. Phil Robertson. Phil, he he, you know when the when the um, everyone was bugging him to enter the duck duck calling competitions, <laughs> and he was making calls and all that business, and he said. 
could have duck win the win the duck call <laughs> competitions. You know what? I said no. Bro, yeah, <laughs> so. exactly. Exactly. Because uh, like I was telling you that story uh, last year, um me and my brother we went in on on this bull and we had him and we kind of had an area that he was pegged pegged to be and um my brother wanted me to shoot so he he switched and he started bugling but it was weird that bull would not answer him would not answer him because i think what it is is he kind of got used to my sound also everybody sounds different it was slightly different right so he wasn't responding maybe you know maybe i had just something slightly different right so i switched up and i said you know what let's just try and get this guy so I switched up and I had him calling, and then when I when he sounded back off again, he was 400 yards in a totally different spot. Like you could just tell he was like, I'm like, and he sounded a little different. And we were kind of on a old old cut line trail, and um, and then I I called again, and and he was a lot closer. He was probably about only about 150 yards from us at that point. And it was just the weirdest call ever. And me and my brother looked at each other and we we're like, ah, oh, crap. It's like another hunter, right? It's mm-hmm. another hunter's come in. And, uh, and I should have known better because where we were, the guy would have had to have come four miles from the opposite direction through... So I should have known better, but anyways, so I called one more time and same thing as crappy bugle. Like, ah, I, my brother's like, well, we're, we looked at each other. We're like, well, we might as well go talk to this guy. And so I'm walking down the trail, I'm, I'm leading. And all of a sudden, all I see is ivory tips <laughs> through the bush on this, <laughs> his big, huge bull. And so I grabbed him and we, dove off to the side of the trail and the weirdest sounding bugle that he he was giving those last couple calls and we we never got a chance because the well, the wind wasn't right and he he winded us and there was exact same thing there was a, a big tree right across that trail fell right across that trail it was about three feet high and he was right on the other side of that and that's where you mm. get that where they they hit a barricade and they'll stop and then they'll they'll wait so long, right? Yeah. They, you know. Unless they're that stupid jacked up. Yeah, you know what I mean. And uh, but but that so then he went off, you know he 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 busted us. He went off in the bush and then he went right back to his original bugling that he was doing, right? But those couple calls that when he was in close just did not sound. It sounded terrible it sounded hmm. terrible right so you know not they like, no they're all not that textbook calls that they you know what i mean you listen to those out calling competitions and you know those textbook calls or whatever but they're all not like that yeah but there's certain things that there is right um you know the guys that are doing the the chuckles like if they're just going like that's not like that's not uh you know mm. like when i do my chuckles i try and get my whole belly diaphragm yeah. moving 
try and get that air in and out like like you know that whole guttural oh that whole guttural not just out of your not just blowing it out of your uh, mouth area because that's not going to give you that that sound right like elk calling is a workout when you're well it is well it's like duck calling or (laughs) i i hate or goose calling is the worst i hate it goose calling in the field like you're just like blowing on that goose calling like oh my god i'm gonna die here (laughs) you know it is it's it's a it's a real workout right so but but yeah your biggest thing is initially is that locator type bugle figure out kind of where they are and then then go from there and and but then you got to switch up right Mm -hmm. and and you won't you you want to get that that bull you want to get that bull pissed off at you and mad at you that you're in his area and and uh like one like one guy put it i was listening to the other day put it right you you're not so much sometimes talking to that bull especially if that bull's got like cows sometimes you're talking to those bulls cows mm-hmm. that's what you if they, if you know that bull's got cows you're trying to talk to those bulls cows you don't talk to that bull at all. You talk to those bulls' cows. You you get him pissed off that you're talking to his bull cows. Yeah. Right. Like I um, I was saying, I I kind of last few years I've kind of dumbed it down to just that primal instinct, right? That primal backcountry bar redneck bar whatever, right? You go. Uh, yeah, I brought up the bronze boot. I said the bronze boot. You go to the bronze boot. <laughs> That's a local right? watering hole in East Selkirk, in case <laughs> yeah. folks were wondering. Yeah, so you know, you you go you go there and and you and you show up and um, you know even if you go there on a, on a night and there's one other guy sitting at the bar, more than likely you can go in that bar and you can sit with that guy you don't know him from Shinola and. And and you'll talk and you might talk over a beer or whatever else. But you go in that same bar and that guy's with his girl or whatever else. And you go in there and 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 you say something off to his girl. Well, what's he, he's gonna get mad, right? He might move away a little bit. Like that's always a thing. Oh, I'm pushing the bulls or I'm pushing whatever. Well, you only sometimes you only push them so far. And if you keep on them, eventually that guy's gonna turn around and and mm-hmm. want to clock you and that's that's the way i've kind of switched it now is like get in on them get them mad get them aggressive that they're like okay this is en- enough's enough right mm-hmm. like, and, and that they're gonna want to come in because i'm talking i kind of switch up instead of talking to to them is i'm talking to their cows right if they have a cow if some of sometimes some of them are by themselves then you're trying to you're doing that more aggression. It's a it's a totally different type of call that you're. It's an aggression call to him because they also still have their territory because they know how many cows are in there. Oh yeah, they know that. Okay, this area has like in you know four or five cows in this area. This is my territory, right? Well, it's, like might... a, it's like a buck coming into another territory, right? They're gonna yeah. fight. So there's that territorial thing. So you kind of try and gotta figure out so what what they're trying to say and. Uh, and uh and determine well does he have a cow am i going to be talking to his cows or am i going to be 
coming into his area and he's going to want to try and defend his area. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, you know, those bull elk will, will push their cows a little bit. They'll try and push those cows, but those cows also, those cows are what determines where they are. Those bulls don't, those bulls don't determine where they are, where they're spending their time. Those cows decide we are going to be here or there because they don't, Bulls have got one thing on his mind. <laughs> yeah. Cows, all they care about is food and water. Yeah. And and when mating season happens, mating season happens. And they don't care whether where mating season happens. All they care about is it has to happen somewhere I've got food and water. Yeah. Because I can't go without food and water. Yeah. And so they're the ones that are going to determine where they are. Right. What, uh, if you had to choose one week throughout the season to hunt, your limit to one week, which week would you be heading out in? Uh, I would be going like this year, the, the season where the area we go goes to like end of September. I'd want to be that, that mid, mid September to that third week of September is, is, is the best time to be out there. And in my, in my experience, I've been out there. We used to hunt right after the Labor Day long weekend. Last year, I hunted right from August 28th. I was in the bush, and I came out September, whenever the season ends, right? I was in that bush the entire time except for a couple of days. And I, I had some bugle at the beginning, but I, they're just kind of starting to talk to each other and setting up and and you can call them in. That's sometimes that's the best time to call them in with cow calls and stuff like that, right? But but that that second week, third week, as long as they're not getting that pressure, right? As long as they're not getting um, pressure from other hunters or the wolves have moved in because I've heard like you know I've heard that area got bad for wolves in some of the areas there, and they'll 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 just shut up, right? They just won't talk as much, right? Yeah. And, uh, but that week is when they start to really fire up, right? You, and you can start telling by when you start running across some of their sign, right? Some of their rubs, you know, some of those big bulls, they just, you know, they're ripping three inch, four inch poplars out of the ground, right? Or not knocking them right over, right? And then you just know, well, these, these things are fired right up, right? And that's yeah. the best time. That's the best time. And also, too, it, you have a better chance of that little bit of a cooler weather. Yeah, Those that's cooler nice, mornings. Yeah. Um, that, and that's one thing that's I've kind of noticed over the years is those cooler morner, mornings are happening later in September than they used to. Because right? I remember going out Labor Day long weekend, and it used to be cold, like waking up, and there's ice in the water bucket or whatever else. Mm-hmm. and now you don't get that till you know that second third week of september it's, it's that that part's kind of switched up hmm. i find but, have you noticed any other big changes like you've been hunting elk for a while so like have you noticed any other big changes in like the habitat or even the herd like uh well the the, the herds are lots are, are 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 around agricultural type fields right like you know and that that you know they've, they 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 kind of learn where the the food is. Yeah, they become dependent on yeah. those big food sources, right? Yeah, exactly. And and uh, so there's I've 
you know, there is a, a lot more around there. Like, are they, are they easier to hunt because there's a lot more? Probably not. Like, because they, they have different habit habits, right? Like I, I talked to one guy that hunts around agriculture field and he, he hunts almost backwards of way we hunt, right? We start from where our camp is and, and we're, we're going into the bush to find them in the heavy bush. Cause where, where I hunt, I'm not really around there's, you know, some ranch land and there's, you know, there's crown lease type land, right? Because that all is all mixed with the wildlife management and crown land, right? And so there's not lots of elk, but there's big bulls there's, and there's not many hunters. So I like it. Am, am I going to see elk every day? No. Am I going to see four or five together? No. You know what I mean? So a lot of guys don't like that, right? Like they want to go and they want to see stuff or they want to hear stuff every day, right? So, but when I talk to him about agriculture, they're hunting ex almost exact opposite. They're getting into the bush, way into the bush early, and they're coming back because they're they're trying to catch them coming off those fields because they're coming off right. those fields. You know, as soon as daylight breaks, they're 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 leaving right because they know that if they hang out there, you know, there's going to be somebody on a on a road with a rifle or whatever, right? It, the more that they stay out in the open, so they so they almost have to hunt them backwards. Mm -hmm. So is you know what I mean? And so then it's totally different. And then you know it, it it's it's harder in in that sense, right? Like I kind of I kind of like hunting where I am because it, it's it I'm more on I feel like I'm more in their natural playing field, right? Yeah, of that natural bush a wild bush they're not they're not you know dealing with like farm fields and that kind of like it's it's a different it's 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 totally different i find but 20 years out there too um chasing elk were there were there any hard lessons oh <laughs> yeah um you have archery you have to be you have to be cognizant of your equipment you have to know what your equipment is like and i i had that you know like i say I, I, a few years ago i wasn't shooting as much um you know i was, I was concentrating more on learning how to call um learning habitat finding new habitat um learning the area and and so i kind of I, I, you know, I kind of got away from learning my bow. I'm like, well, it's a bow is a bow, right? I'm shooting my bow, right? It's like riding a bike. And, uh, you know, I, I switched um, sights on my bow one year. I was like, oh, I'm going to upgrade to something different. So I switched the sights. You know, when I was shooting at home, you know, 40, 50 yards, bang, 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 you know, nothing, nothing you know there's nothing to it got out there and of course where you are you strap your bow to your case in your case and you're in the quad and you're banging through the bush and sure enough i had a bull 20 yards came straight in on me and i had a nice frontal shot and that's the only time i'll take a frontal shot is it's got to be in that 20 yard range and uh shot and what the, you know, I go in, oh, I hit, it's 
front right shoulder. I'm like, oh, was there something? Because, you know, there was a couple of little twigs or whatever else that I hit something or whatever, right? And uh, so we searched for that bowl, never did find him. It was a, it went right through him. I heard that, and two days later, I heard that same bowl bugling on, on, on a ridge. So I knew he was, he was fine, right? It was just one of those little, you know, flesh wounds that it probably went in between his arm and his body, right? His front leg and his body. But so I went back to camp and I'm like, what went wrong? And so I, I placed my target at 25 yards. I shoot at my target and I missed my, totally missed my target at 25 yards. I'm like, what? The? So I recite my bow and I get it all. And, you know, I go back hunting, you know, a couple of days later I, I go and I, don't know, I should try my bow again. So I try again, miss my target again. And I'm like, what's going on? And so fix it and then finally i realized when i when i went after i finally fixed it the last time i went to put it in my bow case well those sights sat different on my bow on my bow than my last and when they were in the bow case there was pressure on those sights and it was fine for at home because you know big deal you're carrying your bow around but banging around on the quad every time i would go on the quad it would knock my sights uh, off mm -hmm. and so that that was the biggest hard lesson because that was one of my best opportunities to get one and i i missed out on it because i wasn't aware of everything that's going on with the equipment of even just how it you know you're storing it away yeah. right you know you just stuff that so archery season it's you gotta be you gotta be knowing what your equipment doing what your release yeah. is doing you know that's funny because a lot of people you know you put put your bone in the case and you figure ah oh, it's good in there you know yeah it's in the case we're all right yeah exactly um i had an interesting uh episode with my bow there and uh you said you kind of heard about it earlier and and what i mean i'm not 100 percent sure exactly what happened but i'm gonna blame it on this is uh couple weeks ago it was smoking hot for like a couple weeks there like plus 33 kind of thing and i was shooting my bow and lots of humidity and then i i take it out of my basement which is the coldest spot in my house go shoot it for about an hour so it get up nice hot steamy and then i'd take it back and put it into my basement again the coldest spot in my house and i'm assuming throughout that uh just the temperature changes and the humidity that somehow moved my rest because ultimately that's what i found out happened and uh through paper tuning uh we got it back to shooting bullet holes so that's cool but back again to to knowing your knowing your equipment right and what what's going on well and, yeah and like that's this year i did some bear shaft tuning which i never really did before and that's kind of made a big difference in adjusting my rests and all that stuff that bear shaft tuning over the paper tuning because i i shoot a whisker biscuit type rest i switched to a whisker biscuit type rest over a three pronger and um and you know one guy that i follow he said he 
when he, he's shooting a whisker biscuit, he doesn't even go to paper tuning. He just goes straight into bare shaft tuning because they'll, they'll, they'll shoot a little bit different than a, a drop away rest does. So, you know, doing stuff like that. And then, you know, is one interesting thing I heard just uh, uh, the other day was this Kevin, he was a Hoyt, uh, he was a Hoyt um, uh, pro staffer. He works for Kuyu now, but uh, art competitive archer and uh, Kevin Wheatley, Wheatley, I think it is. And, you know, talking about waxing bowstrings and he goes, I don't wax my bowstring. There's no reason to wax a bowstring. He says that waxing a bowstring is actually the worst thing you could do for it. And I'm like, well, no, you're always supposed to wax your bowstring. You see all the fuzzy stuff and you wax. And, they, and he was saying, waxing your bowstring doesn't fix the fuzzy stuff. It just mats it down. He says, it's not fixing your bowstring. He says, it just makes it look a little more presentable. But he says, you know, you wax your bowstring. And he says, he says, if you were to put that wax on the side of your truck and drive down the road, well, what would be? There would be dust cake to that, that wax that's on the side of your truck. And he says, so what's happening to bowstring is the exact same thing. That wax is picking up all that dust and all that stuff. And then you get abrasion and all that stuff that's happening in your bowstring. So he says, I, I don't even wax them. I just wipe them down and, and keep them clean that way. Hmm. So, which is kind of, I've, you know, that's the first time I've ever heard something like that. And he says, you, you'll get it. Even from like when those, I guess when they make those strings from factory, there's a, there there is some kind of a coating in there. But he says that, that hot weather, like you say, your bow cases in that hot weather, that stuff will actually melt out of your, and then it, it changes things. It it mm -hmm. changes your uh, twist on your string and your serving loosens up your servings and and you know which all can affect tons of tons of stuff. It's not it's not so much you're gonna notice it at that. 20 to 30, you know, 20 to 30 yards, it's those farther shots where you're going to start noticing those things happening, right? Yeah, for sure. Wild. And so fall's fast approaching and your birthday as well. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, end of no uh, beginning of November is my birthday, so. Yeah. Did uh, did you manage to draw an elk tag this year? No, unfortunately, because I had one last year, I, I don't have a tag this year, so. Unfortunately, I won't be shooting an elk this year, uh, but I'll still be out in the bush. I, I go out every year, regardless. I'm in that bush scouting and and and, and learning new area and and you know the more. Sometimes I I like those years are sometimes really good because pressures the, off the pressures off of like okay, I got to go out hunting this morning. I got to be hunting this morning because I got to try and shoot an elk. If I'm not hunting, I'm wasting time. And those years you don't get drawn, well, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out deer hunting. And, I'm, uh, you know, maybe I'll see a beautiful velvet five point. Like, the, like last year, right where I was hunting, there was a, I got him on trail camera too. This big, big, big five point, right? But I, I, you know, it'd be an awesome buck to shoot. But I'm not going to shoot the deer and and screw up my elk hunt that <laughs> for three weeks, right? So you know what? I'll go out there and I'll set up a stand and maybe I'll see that. But in the meantime, you know, I'll I'll scout area, I'll whatever. And 
my 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 kid got drawn this year. He's 17. He's been out with me a couple times just following around. So he he got drawn. So I'll set up the elk camp. I got a couple spots. He can't go off by himself and do the stuff that I do, but I got a couple spots where I can over some water hole stuff that I can set up tree stand for him. And you know, I I, I missed that nice bowl last year, right, right on one of those spots. Mm-hmm. So set that up, and he can you know I'll, he can come out, and I can be there if he gets something and help him out and and do the scouting thing and and find more area because that's that's the biggest thing you got to do is you got to be constantly learning new area. You can't get stuck in like okay this is our area this is where we're going to hunt because things change we've we've switched four different main areas since the time i've i've hunted right you know we were down we hunted uh, south side at 325 closer to fisher branch then we we were down in poplar field then we're up in uh the the monte closer to monte lake now we've switched to a kind of a different spot because those elk move and those elk change and and they change they change where they are depending on pressure and and whatever else and they move around and you know the the last spot that we were up in that mont we're on that monte lake and all that i'd love for those elk to come back there because it was it was a nice area to hunt right those bigger ridges and nice jack pines mm-hmm. and whatever else but they're just they have not ever ever come back and you know i've deer hunted there and you walk those ridges and you see those old rubs from 20 years ago of those bull elk in there right and they're you know those are on jack pines that are you know huge jack pines so you know those are decent sized bulls and but yet they've never for whatever reason whether it's moisture whether it's pressure whether it's wolves they just don't come back so you always kind of got to be learning okay if this spot's not going to work where am i going to go right and the last thing you want to try and be doing that is is learning that when you're hunting Mm. right you kind of want at least a little bit of like okay i was in this area like two years ago i kind of know it a little bit you know there could be this right and so so that that's kind of what i do in the years Mm. that i don't get drawn is is get in the bush and you know just hike and scout and whatever else and like i say the uh, one year i could have it's kind of funny the one year i could have wasn't a bull but yeah uh, it would have been my first elk was sitting in this kind of field area and you know sitting there and uh you know give a couple call calls and sure enough all of a sudden this cow came Right, running all the way across this entire field, came and was like 10 yards in front of me, standing there, just looking in the bush, just standing there, like, you know, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, this is awesome. <laughs> no, no elk tag, no nothing. Uh, okay, well, whatever. I'm glad you ran, but yeah. But so, Greg, when we, when we, before we chatted the first time, even, I was, I was a little concerned that you might be thinking of hanging them up sometime soon. But the more I hear you talk, I hear, you know, kind of a journey of learning and um, evolution um, 
dedication and now you, you've even identified a few more reasons to keep grinding you've got your son in the game now mm-hmm. you've got a well-established camp and it sounds like you've really dedicated yourself to a lifelong journey of learning elk and elk hunting in manitoba yeah it's it's you know it's, it's uh you know it's kind of uh a compulsion i guess you know what i mean it's 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 become that right like you know i think about it all the time right in the bush and and the learning it so yeah i'll do it as long as i can be out there and you know walk and walk walk with a stick and string and 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 chase after him i'm going to be doing it as, as long as i can right so i think it's, a lot of guys are like that i think you guys will end up being like that too oh i i see a lot of similarities <laughs> Uh, if you had one piece of advice for our listeners here who maybe are just starting to get into elk hunting or maybe they've been elk hunting for a while and maybe haven't had luck, uh, what would you pass along? Well, if you're getting first into elk hunting and, and you want to get out there, don't worry about having all the bells and whistles and all the whatever gear and having this and having that just get out there that's the biggest thing like don't so i i can't go elk hunting i don't have uh this type of pants or i don't you know what i mean or or my bow is not if my bow is 15 years old well a 15 year old bow will shoot a elk just as easy as a brand new bow right hmm. like just get out there so you're out there yeah the elk's and, not going to notice the difference if you put it in the right spot no, exactly you hit the right spot like you say a lot of guys have shot with old recurves and and longbows so get yourself out there but try and go out ahead of time with as much knowledge as you can gather right um learn the animal that you're going after before you go after it as much as you can right like you know and there's tons of resources that you can go on and you know just even listen to these kind of podcasts where you you know you're talking to just the average joe you know hunter guys that you know what i mean it doesn't have to be some famous guy that you're listening to right like everybody's got experiences and everybody's you know what i mean you can you can pick up a lot of stuff and then you know and and learn the area that you're going to go out into like figure out where you're going to go and 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 learn that area as best as you can of like okay this is you know it's got this these high ridges it's got these trails that i can go here and uh and and get yourself in the bush and and don't be afraid to leave the trails get off the trails get into that back country and learn how to hike game trails and and figure out where you are in that thick bush to get yourself back out and then when you're out there and and you haven't got anything which just don't give up like because you just never know when those opportunities will happen like i remember um when i first got into it i was with my recurve and i bought it at uh heartland archery and the guy there that I guess used to own or run it, you know, he was put a new rest on my bow and whatever was talking about elk hunting. And I was maybe in it two or three years at that time, 
around there and you know i hadn't got anything and he's he says well he says usually you'll get one within the first couple of years or you're going to be waiting eight or nine years he said and, <laughs> and it, that's the way it is right it's just the way it goes right like so you can't just let that discourage you as long as you're getting those experiences and getting them in every time every time you blow an opportunity or or it doesn't happen the way you thought it was going to happen you learn from it and then then you adjust and then don't be afraid to try stuff that was the biggest thing it you know what i mean i think back now i've wasted how many years just being afraid to try stuff to get stuck in that rut and uh you know trying different things and okay if that's not working i'm gonna you know i'll I'll try this bull bugling i'll try learning how to actually talk elk right and uh and and doing those things and then you know and and same with me like i could almost give myself the same advice is is um those elk those opportunities that you get on a bowl they they can last an hour right easily an hour of calling and whatever else but it's that last it's those last few minutes that make the difference and 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 it's those decisions you make in the last few minutes and it's not necessarily worrying about making the right decision because sometimes when you worry about making the right decision you make the wrong decision you just got to go with it right it's you know what i mean it's 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 like playing hockey you guys played hockey right mm-hmm. you know does that in those last couple minutes before that guy puts the puck in the net is he really thinking a whole hell of a lot no he, it's it's instinct and he's just doing it mm-hmm. right he's just doing it right like you've watched that Connor mcdavid goal did he at the at the red line did he think well i'm gonna come down the side and i'm gonna come out wide and i'm gonna top shelf this thing backhand over top of over the goalie into the no but he just went and did it and then it's that in just that last instinct of like okay i'm just doing it. i'm not overthinking this and I think that's where I run into the troubles. I overthink it. And like you say, you don't want to blow that chance. You don't want mm-hmm. to blow that chance. Well, sooner or later, you just got to go with it. And that's when shit happens. And it'll either happen good or it'll happen bad. Mm-hmm. And, you know what I mean? And yeah. either way, either way, you come away with a wicked ass experience that you'll never forget. Well, I think we got more than one tip there, so I hope the, <laughs> I hope the viewers are paying uh, their uh, dividends here. Chaser, do you have any uh, kind of final thoughts here? Uh, great conversation, man, and uh, I'm I'm certainly getting ramped up for elk season now, and this is the the perfect transition for me just to to hammer the throttle down and 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 uh clean up on all my calling before i hit the bush and are you a little motivated i am i am i i really hope we have some success this year but but uh i can say i'm also looking forward now to like a lifetime of, of yeah. uh, just I'm chasing after yeah. these things a misery so, yeah well that's one thing is about it you, you'll never you never stop learning it's one thing that you never stop learning 
and uh, and and you'll always want you always want to get better at it, and you always want to you know you always want to learn. You'll be learning new areas and learning new stuff, right? It's a constant learning process, right? Uh, you know, so doesn't sound like an investment of time and money at all. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds really affordable. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Trying to get away in the fall for two weeks at a time. Yeah. And, no, I need these two weeks to yeah. like go into the bush. Yeah. <laughs> and are you going to get anything? Uh, statistically speaking, but, probably but not. You, yeah. You guys are like, uh, like you guys are lucky because I think you guys are uh, so far ahead of the game already, right? Because you know, you, with just your contacts and talking with people and different people, and and you're able to learn so much more. Then I, I, you know, I basically learn whatever I learn, and and I boots on the ground, man. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, you know, it, it it's it's it'll be exciting for you guys coming into it because you guys it'll be amazing what you guys can learn in the next little while, like you know, or already have learned, right? Totally. Well. So. Greg, I want to thank you first for coming on the show and sharing all your knowledge, but also yeah. for like, and your experiences and inviting us into your house and just like showering us in awesome food and uh, <laughs> eating like kings up here, giving us the whole nine yard experience here. So thanks so much. Oh yeah. I appreciate you guys coming out. It was, you know, it's awesome. Awesome to kind of do this thing. And I, I, I hope I, you know, I had something to offer the people listening, like, you know, the few skills that I kind of know or, and, and have learned that, you know, biggest thing is, you know, maybe they learn not the mistakes that I've kind of made, right? Like they can circumvent those things and go, okay, well, I'm going to do it this way, or I'm going to go off this way. And you know what I mean? And, and, uh, you know, get get to that point where he's at right now where you know i'm not trying to learn right from the scratch like i i did and and making so many mistakes right so well thanks for blazing the trail man i know i yeah. learned a lot today and uh i think uh we'll, we'll, we look forward to kind of following along and seeing how things go mm -hmm. yeah yeah i like to see how your guys season goes there and uh what you guys are gonna pick up and hopefully you guys are Get in on something and get lucky this year. I hope. Absolutely, man. I'll have to have to do a ra uh, follow up or whatever yeah. after the season or something like that. Yeah, out at the hunting cabin for sure. Right on. Thanks, Greg. And that brings a wrap to episode fifty-six, folks. Thanks for listening in. Uh, we certainly hope you took something away from that. I know I took a lot away from that. Um, Greg's just a phenomenal dude and had a lot of wisdom to pass on all them years in the bush. So, And also like maybe a little recharge before we head into those daunting elk bushes. I am looking forward to the day, man. I cannot wait till opening day. TikTok now. <laughs> totally. Um, be sure, as always, to give us like and follow, but also... I noticed that one of the things that um, we're getting some positive feedback on is um, through social media. Folks are saying, hey, our buddy told us about this. Um, love the podcast. Love the feed. Keep it up kind of scenario. So word of mouth is also just like a great way for us to, to spread our, our message here 
helps keep our content rolling and uh, making sure that we can kind of get the word out on conservation or um, wildlife support, hunting tips, anything, right? So um, if you if you got someone in your life that might be interested in the podcast, flip it their way. Um, we appreciate it. Hopefully they appreciate it. Right on. Thanks again for listening in, folks. <clears throat> and we'll... Uh, We'll be in touch, hopefully, before you hit the woods. So yep. keep your powder dry. Keep those lines tight. Keep a sharp edge on that knife. <laughs>